0: Welcome to this board game life episode number 14 infiltration tooth and nail and listener feedback. My name is Rob and with me today I have my fantastic co-host with the most Mr. Jeff.
1: Hello everyone.
0: All right. You know, let's uh let's get rolling with this show. You
1: ready, Jeff? Absolutely.
0: All right. So let's uh, let's hit up the news items for
1: today. I have just one. Uh, it's this. Actually, we'll call this a app suggestion for anyone out there that wants to develop an application for the board game world. I came across an app, a news article about an app. Actually, I don't know. Maybe you've heard of this one.
0: Because you're talking about mobile apps, right?
1: Yes, mobile apps. Sorry, I thought that's implied now by the term app, but you're you're correct. I should There's clarify. There's lots of apps. <laughs> Windows eight. So, suggestion for a mobile app. There's a I, I read about this one called "Should I Break Up with My Boyfriend?" Did you see this app article? No, because I have no need to <laughs> use that app. I don't know about you. <laughs> Nor do I, but it makes the point. <laughs> okay. I assume I assume you can use it to uh, determine if you should break up with your girlfriend as well. But
0: well, I still don't need to use that one.
1: <laughs> your wife, your significant <laughs> other.
0: Okay then. In any case. Well, no, I shouldn't need to use that either. <laughs> But continue, please. One would hope. Yes.
1: In any case, the um, what was interesting about it is, you know, of course, this continuing trend to have your phone do everything for you. Well, now, you you know, one of these things that people, uh, you know, go back and forth on, well, should I stay away? Should I go? Okay, now your phone will tell you that as well. So the way that the app works is basically it tracks how you feel about that person over a two-week period. And, you, you know, you give them a certain number of stars each day or her. Right? You, you write daily thoughts and comments, and then at the end of two weeks, like exactly, the app basically just goes, okay, it, we recommend, we've ch- processed all that data, and here's a little graph of how you feel, and we recommend you break up, or we recommend you stay together. And That's the, fantastic. The app actually tells you that. So my idea, so the reason I bring it up is my idea is the should I get this game app. Right, so instead of okay. all, all these people that are, you know, just, oh, should I get this game? Is it good? Is it not good? You know, what does what, what does Rob think? What does Jeff think? Okay, no, they don't care. But, right, you know, all these all these different comments and stuff. Well, what if you had an app then that tracked, you know, every day it just it just throws up the latest game that interests you, and it's like, well, how do you feel about this game today? And you, you know, you rate it, and you know, maybe you read a whole bunch of stuff today, so you're real hyped up on it, and then tomorrow you're like, ah, whatever, and. You know, you write one daily thought or comment, and at the end of a two-week period, it says, "Okay, you should buy this game," or "Nope, nope, cross this one off, delete it off your list, don't think about it anymore." Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, and then you could expand expand upon that app even further by waiting in various reviewers, right? So you go, "Okay, you know, hey, today, what do you feel about Jeff and Rob?" Okay, these guys are great. I think their opinions are wonderful. That's the only option. <laughs> or, you know, what I, I don't like what they said today. Is they're they're crazy. I, forget what they say or what they think right and and you do that for a couple of reviewers or whatever whichever ones you want to track and then that weighs in because it, it looks at our opinions or something and and tracks that and weighs it against the your own thoughts and then again at the end of the two-week period it says buy this game don't buy this game or here's your order right just take all thought out of it that's the whole point of all these apps right so i cool. would never use it i would make fun of it i would hate it for existing but you know i i feel like it's the point of it too is is anybody actually going to use that app to break up with a girlfriend or boyfriend i'd hope not but how many people will buy it just to see what it says right it's kind of like the old magic eight ball app, right like a new take on that so so again it's like is anyone really going to follow the app to to get or not get a board game i hope not but how many people would get it just to have fun with it like at that level so you put a 299 price on it or something like that
0: yeah, you put a two ninety nine price tag on it, and then make it thirty percent off.
1: Well, then you you charge for the decision, right? You go through the two weeks, and you go, "Oh, we'll tell you what we thought," but it's an extra ninety nine cents. <laughs> Microtransactions. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's genius. It's time. So I'm telling somebody steal the idea. I, I would do it. I just don't have any programming abilities anymore, and or any care to hire somebody. So. Uh, I think there's merit to the idea. This is this is probably the next million-dollar application on on that front, and certainly within the niche field, I, I think there could be something along these lines. Would be, uh, you know, interesting. So that's that's all I've got.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, speaking of apps. Now, you know, I know that Jeff you're a big iPhone Apple person.
1: Well, I it just how it ended up, yeah. right? I mean, as a board Ex-Android. game fan, right? So and no, that's, that's and that's the primary reason I switched. I just I, all these board game apps were coming out and I why not? So, and I and I'm actually happier now that I have. So, that's okay. I,
0: I'll, that's I'll okay. still know you. <laughs> that's okay. You can, you can you can do that. And, you know, I've been Android for for years now. And I am happy to say that there is actually a real game out finally for Android, and that's Narishima Hex. It was released yesterday. We're recording this on the 14th of June. It was released on the 13th. Yeah, so
1: is that the second board game app then for Android?
0: There was a first. <laughs> <laughs> no, there, there's
1: been a couple. Catan something? Carcassonne, Isn't there, there's there been something? Like, the ones that I remember off the top of my oh, head. Oh, Elder years. Sign. Yeah. yeah, Elder
0: Sign, Omens. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was Catan... There's Carcassonne. There was uh, that Knizia game.
1: Well, in the iOS the world, desert. we're way over 200. So. Stop rubbing it in.
0: <laughs> and there was actually a game similar to Narishima Hex. I, I
1: had to upgrade my iPad because I ran out of memory. There were so many board games on, on the iOS. So, all right, I'll stop.
0: Okay. Let's well, see, with Android, we would just switch memory cards. Oh, Okay. So we finally got Narasimha Hex,
1: so that is awesome. It's a good game, so I do recommend it. Yes, either, either platform, absolutely.
0: And one game that I've been also been playing, uh, not too recent, but I used to play it a lot because it's pretty decent single player, is Onarim. Uh, there is what can be kind of called the sequel to that game it was called equilibrium it's available out in canada right now uh, not available in the u.s and i guess there was a big halt put to the game recently they had to put a stop to the game because the name equilibrium was too close to a current title so the name will be changed to
1: Herbion. erbian uh that's equally poor of a name yeah
0: you know is owner any better but uh the art on the game is very similar to Onerim. If you're familiar with it, they had some like weird, freaky, like dream type scapes on there. Right. And it's got a similar kind of look. The the game looks pretty interesting. It's one of those little small box Z-Man games. It should be coming out sometime in September post name change. I would imagine that you can still probably find Equilibrium. At uh, some stores out there that still have some existing stock, I don't know if they've been forced to pull it off the shelves yet or not. And then the final thing I wanted to cover is Trahan or Trajan. Trajan.
1: T R A J A N. But no, yes. tra- Trajan is what I've heard most people calling it. So, and I've
0: I've heard Trahan also. And Trajan. So I'll, I'll, I'll call it both. Trahan Trajan. Uh, it is finally going to be coming over in a US version. Woo-hoo. So that's kind of exciting. It's it's one of the games that I've been meaning to get that's kind of eluded me just because every time the yeah, store too. imports it, it's like gone within. Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm too seconds. slow on the trigger. Yeah. I start looking for other stuff to add to the cart, and by the time.
0: <laughs> but oh, I might do yeah, yeah. On. <laughs> Dude, that happened to me with <laughs> Castles of Burgundy once. I was so mad. I was yeah. so mad. You know, I was sitting there, like, looking for stuff to push me over the 100, and...
1: That well, I I had an unnamed site stock. that I actually left it in my cart, and and I added other stuff to get over the shipping threshold, I hit submit, it took the order, and, and then just automatically removed the game, the only game I had wanted in the first place, and processed the order automatically with all the remaining items, without so much as a, do you still want this confirmation? Mm-hmm. So, now they say they've since fixed that, but... I haven't actually been back to that yeah. site, so I don't know.
0: And you know, I've been you know, speaking of purchasing stuff and shopping carts and all that, I've been going through almost a three week period now of where I've been trying to stay away from the online stores. I got to stop my buying insanity. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: if I don't look at the store, you know,
1: to see what's new you out gotta, there, you got to start tracking your games on BGG so that I can see that you are buying insane amounts and I can say, Rob, enough. Or you can say, hey, Rob, I'm coming on over to play. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, Go we'll record your collection. I want to see what you've got.
0: Yeah, I, I need to update. I've been pretty bad with that. It's like, I know that you keep yours pretty up to date. How do you do that? Okay, because I, I just when I, when ask,
1: I, How do you do that? When I buy something, I re- I use BGG to track that. So I I put right in there I, the the date where I bought it and what I paid. And primarily that's because... Since I do turn around a lot of games, it makes it that much easier to know what I need to get for it. I see. And then I usually put that in there, too. I say, okay, I sold it on XYZ date for such and such. Uh, or I traded it for this or that. Because sometimes I'm curious. It's like, oh, yeah, I remember getting rid of that game. What did I get rid of it for? Oh, yeah, that that was a pretty good trade. I guess I'm glad I did that. See, now, how how do you do that? How, how do you... Just in the private, in it. the private area. So you
0: do a search on BGG for a game and you scroll all the way to the bottom? Is that how you do it?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and just uh, instead of add a copy to your, well, you add a copy to your collection, right, if you're adding a game. But if I've already got it like marked as a um, uh, you know, want to play or want to buy or wish list or something, then I'll just put it in the private area. That's actually also where I put comments about games. Like, uh, None of my comments are really public. Most of them are in another program now. Microsoft OneNote I use for almost all of the show production notes and thoughts and stuff on games. But I do have a lot of my older stuff still in BGG database. Because
0: so, OneNote's that program that comes with Office, right?
1: Yes. I primarily use it, though, because it syncs with my iPad. It syncs with my iPhone. And does, it,
0: does it sync to the cloud?
1: Yes, exactly. And since all of my important information is there, even like old game design, I mean, pretty much anything I have – that's a value I put in there, uh, well, you know it's a value to me. I'm not really worried about somebody running off with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't put financial stuff in there or anything, but uh, so this way, yeah, it's 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 all in the cloud. I get it on any device. If my computer crashes, I don't really have to worry about a bunch of text files or documents or something I had. I put web links in there, I put pictures, I put you know whatever it is that relates to stuff. It's just kind of all in there, and it's a a three tabbed approach for anyone that doesn't know. So it's sort of like having pages within a file and files within books. So okay. it's it's just and it's also a uh, a type anywhere kind of app. So you just sort of type start typing and it auto saves. There's no real save. Right. Um, you know you write in different spots and it's really easy to move stuff around and drag and drop. It's I mean it's really better than Evernote and other things like that just for ad hoc. sort of note taking and keeping track of thoughts and stuff so I used to even have other apps for you know to-do lists and all kinds of other crazy stuff and I really just use OneNote for everything now and it's always there too so it's you know it's still that uh, especially like with game design and stuff you know which I don't do so much of anymore but every I do still have thoughts like I'll you know I'll think of something every now and again about one of the primary things I'd worked on and I'll you know why not write it down because I'm going to forget it otherwise So if I ever do go back to it, and I go, oh, I remember I had all these great ideas, and I go, yeah, I don't remember what any of them were, uh, that's helped immensely, right? There was, there also, (laughs) like, uh, usually when it happens, too, is, you know, the last time I drove to, uh, I forget where it was, but it was like a six-hour drive, and, you know, I just, I get bored, so I start thinking of ideas for games and things, and I start working on things, games in my head, and um, so it's a way to, like, the next time I stop, I'll, like, write down some of them, you know. Whatever I came up with, names for games or ideas for games, or maybe a of mechanic course you, or something. So you,
0: you don't text and drive, you know, because that's illegal. So you stop.
1: no, no. I mean, I, re- I in those cases, I remember a short term enough. Yeah, uh, and then I'll just I'll just write it. So do you basically like let's say when you're
0: finding out about a new game, you'll let's say see something on BGG news that so and so is working on this game. Do you immediately then just make a note of it?
1: I I use some of the categories to my advantage. Like, what I'll do is uh, right now the way I mean it kind of varies depending on how many I have in different categories. But I tend to mark a game as want to play if it's of interest to me. Like I I haven't really got a lot of information about it, but I know that it's something I might like, so I'll mark it as want to play. If uh, and, and that generally means it's not out yet. If it's out and I'm kind of interested in it, then it'll go on my wish list. Okay. And if I know I'm going to buy it, then whether or not I've paid for it or not, it'll go on pre-ordered. Now, most of the stuff on pre-orders I've actually paid for, but, but sometimes it's just a game like uh, like Africana. I, yeah. I haven't actually pre-ordered it yet, but I know the first moment I see it, I'm going to buy it. So I've marked it oh, as yeah. pre-ordered.
0: That's soon, right? It's this yes. month or next month, I believe?
1: It's very soon, like any yeah. any day now but that way I've kind of allocated in my head that okay I don't I don't really need to look at any more information about that game because I know I'm getting it right so I can kind of just ignore any stuff it's at this point nothing's going to change my mind about getting it so so there's that and then I, I the stuff there's other things I just those are the ones I t- tend to keep on BGG because there's other things I do in the private comments but otherwise if it's just uh just names of games and stuff I tend to just keep that in one note like an example would be like co-op games. I don't tend to buy a whole lot of those. So when I come across co-op games that interest me, rather than tag them on BGG, I kind of just make a list in a OneNote that next time I feel like looking into a co-op game, you know, here's a list of five or six that I found maybe potentially interesting or something. Right. But speaking of that, you can actually do tagging, which is another way I would started. I used to have, like, tons of expansions, like maybe I'd consider, and you can actually do custom tagging, and you can make lists that don't clutter up your, but that really became too much work, and what happened is there was a period where BGG seemed like it was down all the time, and and this was only a few months ago, and there were several times where I was putting in an order, and I, like, needed to go to BGG just to find out what I wanted to buy, (laughs) like, what I flagged for buy, and it's down. Yeah. And it's like I it, you know it's kind of annoying because
0: Was that the day that they were down for almost a day?
1: That that happened too, but no this was just really I I I want to say BGG down all the time. I think most people don't notice cuz who hopefully who's on BGG all day long that they would if it was down for 10 minutes or 20 minutes or 5 minutes that you would actually ever know.
0: I would absolutely know.
1: <laughs> it, well, but uh, that's the point. And I used to spend a lot more time yeah. on BGG than I than I than I do now. And I was noticing all the time. It was, it was, seemed like it was down all the time. Yeah. Uh, sometimes for a long time, sometimes not so long. Uh, but just too many times when I needed to get the information out of it that I was storing in it. So I still use it primarily. The thing that's in it is what I own and what I've paid for stuff. And I also have this problem. There's some games, you know, because I've been gaming for so long, there's some games that I honestly cannot remember if I own them or not. I mean, how sad is that, right? That's so, crazy. So I look at a game and I'm like, did I? Well, a there's the especially when I was a kid, is like, did I just play this at somebody else's house all the time and I never actually owned it? And but it just feels like I did because I know I played it all the time. So technically, I can't mark it as previously owned if I didn't own it, right? Right. Even if I played it a ton. And then the other one is, you know, especially as a kid, we didn't we didn't have the internet back then. Jeez, I sound so old. Mm -hmm. So, all we had was like the general magazine and, you know, they're they're like the, you know, brochure page. It was like a single page. And, you know, instead of reading all these reviews and watching things and stuff and and forums, all I really had to do was stare at that page. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, some of the games, I think I might have, you know, it's like I, I looked at that glossy, that marketing glossy or that back page of the magazine so much that I, maybe I convinced myself I owned it, you know, like, in, and like in my mind, I just, I feel like I owned it because I remember seeing it so much, but I don't know if I ever, ever actually did. And that's kind of depressing to me too. So, so I, I don't bother marking any of that stuff as previously owned, right? Cause I'm not sure did okay. I own it or not.
0: The one that I kind of run into every once in a while along those lines is I'll place an order and usually uh, what I wind up doing is I'll go through a site and I'll put a whole bunch of stuff in my cart, and then I weed things out. Yeah. And in the end, you know, like the next day, I don't always remember what I actually ordered. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah, that's You, know, you might I might have had like ten things in my cart, and I punt five. <laughs> and then the next day, I'm at another site, and I'm like, oh, you know, maybe I want to order this. And then it's like, oh, wait.
1: I do know people that end <laughs> up with like two copies and three copies of games because they yeah they don't because they don't keep track, and that's the reason I do too because yeah this way I can go back to BGG and go okay I already I already, uh, pre-ordered that which is also why I generally mark pre-ordered games that I did pay for as owned so that I know okay I, I actually paid for this one as opposed to just committed to buying it type of thing
0: Do you open up your games as soon as you get them or do they sit and shrink for
1: a while? It depends I've started shifting to expansions leaving them in shrink if it's not for something I'm going to play immediately Yeah just on the off chance that I change my mind, but generally I don't really care. Most of the time, I'm opening things up, punching them out right away, you know, putting play nos in and that kind of thing.
0: Okay. See, I would think that if you do that, you'd be more apt to remember if you have a game.
1: I pretty much know my collection. Okay. I've, I I spend enough time organizing it and otherwise tracking it that I'm I'm pretty. Uh, I would be amazed if I ever got wrong a game that I've at least for the last. You know, since, say, 2008, which is when I started recording on BGG and stuff under my present account. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure of every game I've owned or, pre- or previously owned. I don't think I would confuse at this point. But it's more of the stuff from, like, say, 20 years ago. Right. Uh, and every once in a while, some really cool things happen. And I'll look at a geek list or I'll look at something on BGG. And I'll find out about a game that I didn't just play and own before, but I played a ton. And then I'll be like, how did I not remember that game? And so one that comes to mind was a game by TSR called Gamma Rodders, which was just this weird, silly little game, but with these, like, giant dinosaurs with, you know, rockets on them or whatever. And I owned that game and I played it quite a bit. And then I saw it on a geek list somewhere and I was like, wow, wow, that was, you know, I remember that being such a cool game. It's like, how did I forget that I actually had owned that or whatever? So, so then I went and tagged that as previously owned because I was like, OK, that one I'm certain I, I had. But anyway, enough with that. <laughs>
0: Gamers not so much
1: dozen. I've only got uh, three this week to talk about. Now, I'll rattle off a couple of other ones I've been playing, but I'll cover them in detail on a future show. The first one I want to talk about this week, though, is a little game called Infiltration. Yes. Which is a fantasy flight. Actually, it's a Donald X game of uh, Dominion and Kingdom Builder fame and, and not so much nefarious fame. <laughs> yes. At least in my opinion. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so, uh, two games I like, well, you know, actually I guess you would say, so Dominion, I'm kind of, I've, I don't dislike it. I still own it, but I haven't played it in ages and I'm still not that inclined to want to go back to it, but Hey, I still own it. So it must mean I like it still. It's like you uh, need a break. Yeah. Kingdom builder. I, I still like more than most people. I, I find the strategy in it. I did pick up the expansion, haven't yet played it, but Certainly intend to. I'm encouraged by what I've seen so far in it. Nefarious, I didn't like so much. So, it kind of all over the board, right, with Donald X for me. So, yeah. um, no particular reason to be predisposed to like or dislike this game, I think, based on that. Is so,
0: actually, wasn't Dominion his first series of oh, games? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, he's had a long run, almost maybe played out, <laughs> uh, run with Dominion. And now we're kind of seeing what else he had up his sleeve.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and then, I mean, the running joke is Kingdom Builder does say expansion one on the box for Nomad. So, you know, clearly they're not done. Yeah. And in any case, so infiltration. It's a, it's kind of what what FFG would call their silver line, uh, although I think they've since removed those words from the box, which I, I kind of agree with. I, I don't think it was ever a really good marketing strategy. They're in a little bit bigger of a box now, too, and some people yeah. said it's even a little oversized. I didn't find it that oversized. I think there's a, a good amount of components in there for what... you It was only like a $20 game, too, so uh, that's a nice thing. But, okay, so basically I'll run through a little bit of how you play the game, just so you understand okay. what my likes and dislikes are and why. And being a little bit of a newer game, I don't think too many people are familiar with it. So the way that you... I'll start with the setup. It's actually a pretty simple game. So you set up with random room cards. So you draw basically six from first floor cards, six from second floor cards, and then one secret room card. And these are laid out in kind of an arrangement, like a triangular arrangement on the table. But it almost wouldn't matter how you arranged them. I mean, basically you're going to start at the first room on the first floor, and you're going to work your way to the second floor rooms. And then possibly one of the second floor cards will let you into the secret room. It's also possible that you play the whole game and there's no way to get into the secret room. And that's just how it is. Now there's a good variety of those cards. Uh, there's only three secret room cards, so less variety there. But there's enough a variety of the other cards then that the randomization isn't something that really affects your game as much as it is just to change it up from one game to the next. Okay. okay. So that's the, that's the basics of the way the cards are laid out. And you're... What you are is your operatives uh, it's, it's kind of that and, you know the Android universe theme right the right. neuromancer uh, cyberpunk kind of thing and your operatives going in and you're trying to extract important data and or prototypes of like this you know Android type device or
0: it's and, like corporate corporate espionage kind yeah of yeah yeah but they're it. like
1: working on this this prototype Android yeah. and you want to try to retrieve that or information about it to, to steal it type of thing and you want to so you want to get in and you want to get out. So the players then, they each get one operative, which is one uh, character, and you get four randomly drawn items. So everybody will have four unique items. And then each operative also has four action cards. And then uh, there's an advanced game that swaps one of those. Uh, and so the, the action cards are advance, retreat, interface, and download. And, and those basically they correlate to advance means you move forward a room, retreat means you move back a room. Every room has an interface terminal that does something unique, that's what the interface card is for. And then there's a certain number of data files in each room that are little uh, uh, randomly drawn chits that range from one to three. And so a a first floor room might have four of them or two of them. A second floor room might have nine or twelve even. And so these are stacked up and download lets you take a certain number of them. The other uh, advanced game version is Extract. And so those are really your four actions, and and then the way that a game round works is you go through the selection phase. So each person, for their operative, picks one of the cards: advance, retreat, interface, or download, or an item card, and they put it face down. Everybody does that at the same time, and then there's a resolution phase where you flip those up and you execute them in turn order. Turn order is simple; it just shifts from from me to you to the next person. After you resolve everything, then if there's any NPCs, they Act, and there'll be something on the card that says what they do. And then there's a security phase. And the security phase is what highlights what's kind of unique about the game, which is for a thematic game, it has a pusher luck kind of element to where uh, there's a, time, a timer in the game. And uh, the security phase is basically you, you roll a die and this dial starts dialing up. Uh, so it starts at zero, and when it gets to 99, the authorities arrive, right? This is the armed security force, and they, they capture you, gun you down, whatever the case might be. But basically, you haven't got out with the, the data files then, right, if you run out of time. And a little bit more on that in, in a bit. So when you reveal a room, when you move into a room, you'll reveal it, and so, there's different actions on the room. There's a reveal action sometimes, which... Just by revealing it, it takes effect. There's an enter action if you go in there. I, I previously mentioned there's an interface that's unique to every room if you take that action. Um, sometimes there's an action for retreating and that type of thing. But then the other things that'll, that'll be there is there's often a tech lock, which is a way, it's like a locked safe or some kind of other place in the room that if you can kind of hack into it or, or crack into it, you can get extra data files that way. And then the last thing is there's nightly workers. You know, there's somebody dedicated working late on the Android project and you come across them and they might have some extra info that you can, you know, basically kill them and take type of thing. Uh, And that's really the setup. That's, That's basically the game. And then winning is just if you manage to escape before the proximity dial reaches 99, then whoever has the most zettabytes of data wins, which is basically the number on the backside of those DF chips one to three, right? You got them all up, and and uh, whoever has the most wins. So if if you were the only one that even got out alive, then you win by definition, right? Okay. The, then the one, one catch is if you're playing with two players, you each play two operatives. So then you would add the totals together, and whoever had the most wins. So it, it's a game for two to six, but technically it's three to six, because as a two-player, you're playing two people each. So if, if that bothers you. Right. Um, Okay, so then, to talk about what I did and didn't like about the game, I'll start with what I disliked. Uh, really, they're minor dislikes, but minor concerns slash dislikes, but I've got maybe three of them. The first one, which takes a bit to explain, is that whole one through three on the randomly drawn tokens thing. Typically, it, it's almost a pet peeve that I don't like that because it seems like needlessly random, right? But to give you an idea, I'll go through two an example I I wrote down for two of the games that I played. I tracked all the numbers. So the actual tokens gathered, and these were two-player games, both of these. Okay. Uh, and I forget which player was which, but basically one player had 23 and one player had 18. You know, tokens actually taken, and the score then was 39 to 27. Okay. So then what I did what I did to kind of calculate how this randomness works is I figured. That uh, the actual game distribution is 58 ones, 41 twos, and 18 threes, and uh, so basically, you know, if you simplify that to like 60, 40, and 20, which is just a minor variation of those numbers, then that's 642 or 321, which basically says for every six tokens, you should have 10 points. Then, right? So for every six tokens, you should have three ones, two twos, and one three. If if it was drawn, you know, perfectly by the odds, right? So 10 points, and so what I can do basically then is I can take the number of tokens that you that you actually took and divide that by six, multiply by 10, and that's the point score you should have got. So long story short on that, what happens is that the actual score was, you know, for 23 to 18 tokens taken, the score was 39 to 27. And calculating it out by what it should have been, it should have been 38.3 to 30. So that's actually not that off right that's a 12 point difference versus an eight point difference so really it was a four point sway for randomness which you know maybe not so bad right not not so unrealistically random this was with the basic rule sets then i tracked the f- the first play i did with the advanced rules which I'll, I'll get into works a little differently but the token count there was 24 to 16 and that was with two operatives each again it was a two player and so the math there was the score was 38 to 30 the predictable score would have been 40 to 27. So that's an eight Delta versus 13 Delta. So it's a five point sway. So here's two games. One was four points. One was five points sway and randomness. And still the player that actually took the most tokens in both cases won, right? So it really, it kind of became irrelevant. Uh, So that's a really long way of saying that even though it's kind of been a pet peeve of mine with some games, I don't know that it really bothered me here. And actually the first game... We both lost. It's not really a cooperative game, but everybody can lose if nobody gets out, right? And because it was the first game, we didn't have as good a sense of the timing. And there was a there's an NPC that that comes out called Leia Bailey, who increases the proximity dial by 20 if she reaches, say, like the dock, which is another way to ex- escape. We'd kind of forgotten about that, and the time was already running high, and we let decided to let her live because you know it's, it's like many games, somebody has to kind of forego another action to to kill her. Right or Eliminator, and nobody wanted to do that because she wasn't otherwise in anyone's way. Well, so she made it, the The dial ticked way up there, and then was like, oh, crap, you know, there's, there's not going to be enough time to get out. <laughs> and so nobody was actually technically able to get it out, so the, the score is really the theoretical. In that case, had everybody actually gotten out. Now, there's one other thing, too, where you score 10 points if you get a prototype. So if you manage to get to a place where there's a prototype, you can drop all your items, Take the prototype out with you, and that 's a bonus ten points so that's huge when you when you see the scores i 'm talking about you know which is actually with two operatives it's forty to twenty seven so it'd be you know half that if you were just playing one so to have ten points for carrying a prototype is a, a really important thing if you can do that you know also a thing where ideally in the basic game anyway, you want to move ahead and gain access to more of the data files to be the first one to download them. You get two instead of one. If you're the first one under the basic rules, uh, I didn't really care for that. I actually prefer the advanced game, but you know, it's, it's maybe a little bit less of an issue with two players too. So, but anyway, that that's kind of my, my first minor concern is I, I just, I kind of don't understand why the data files weren't just all equal. Like why couldn't they just all have been one point? Uh, like I didn't, I didn't really see anything special in there, like a you know peek at the stack and take the one you want because you have the special ability or special item or right I mean it just it didn't seem like there was a real reason for the variants to be there, but that said it it didn't really seem like it played out in the games that I've played as really any kind of a problem, so in any case, minor dislike concern number one. the second thing was. And I already kind of mentioned this, but the two player was was kind of a lie right and that's and you know something I mentioned about other games like ground floor and things like that that I just don't really care for that and i and I felt a little ripped off here on that, right now that's really just because of the point, not because it actually doesn't play well as two players. I actually think it actually plays really well as two players, so but it's still I kinda you know that's it's not really two players right if 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 the point is play two players each and that's the only difference, right? That's the only accommodation or alteration you make to make it a two-player game, then that's a little lazy to me, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, again, you just play two two character cards. I can imagine there being something a little more creative than that for the two-player game. But that said, it actually works out quite a bit for two players. And, in fact, some of the other things that I'm concerned about, like even the point thing... Are less of an issue with two, because since you're controlling two operatives, you have that much more ability, right? You know, you're dealing with higher amounts of, of point totals, so the sway is going to be less important than if you only have one, and you feel like you got screwed a couple times, and you know, hey, now maybe maybe it does affect your, your winning or, or whatever. So, And then the last thing I kind of disliked was that rotating first player. It just seemed like there are times, especially in the basic game, where being first matters, and I think I would have liked something more sophisticated to determine who goes first. You know, the first first person to download, you know, gets extra uh, data files. Uh, a lot of times the interface, the first person to use it, it then is destroyed and, and it can't be used again. So uh, you could argue, since it's predictable who the first player is going to be, you just factor that into your strategy. Make sure that you advance ahead of others if you really want to be the first to use it. Make sure you don't, you know, this or that so that's why i say it's a minor dislike just because i can i can kind of imagine better in in, in a world where every game is absolutely perfect but in, in practice it, it didn't seem like it was as big a deal as, as as it could have been so that's it those are the only things i really disliked about the game and now there were a couple of things that were just okay for me that i won't call dislikes two in particular so the first is the npc cards which overall were workable, but not spectacular in that there's only five of them. And so there's not a lot of variation. And, you know, they're mostly a subset of location cards. So you'll put out a, you'll flip a location card and it'll say, okay, this NPC is here. And there isn't, you know, a whole lot of theme that goes along with the NPC cards. and, And again, a whole lot of variety. So I could almost see room for an expansion there that really just fills that out a little bit more. Not that it really feels incomplete without an expansion, but just, again, it wasn't as flushed out as it could have been. Uh, One example of a really neat NPC, though, is some of them will actually start face down. And if you go to the interface terminal, there's like a robot in one of them and you activate it. The robot becomes active and it starts smashing all the like locked boxes and uh, things of that nature. And so it actually helps you and it starts moving back towards the exit and, and opening up some of that stuff for you. Um, so that's kind of neat. Another one will wound you, and and things like that. So, the other thing that was just kind of okay for me was the character cards themselves, because there's no variance in the characters other than the graphics. So there's six of them, but which one you take really doesn't matter at all. Uh, now again, that's a side effect of the item cards. That's really where the uniqueness comes in. But since you're getting four random ones, it, again, it doesn't really affect which characters what. So that could have been a little bit better. I would have maybe been better if there was a backstory. There is flavor text, but Yeah, I mean, there's nice art on the character cards. And to be fair, there's an optional rule that gives each character two preset pieces of equipment, which is supposed to work, you know, more in that direction. But again, it's kind of like I could just have imagined better. All right. So then enough of the dislikes and the "Mm, could-be-betters. Then what what did I love about the game? What did I like about the game? So first thing that I absolutely loved about the game, and more than anything else, is the item cards. So there are... Oh, hmm. I don't know a lot <laughs> there's a lot 35 so there's 35 item cards and this is such an epic fail for most games where you have items and they're just dull or there's tons of copies of the same ones or there's little variants you know big deal this is a plus one and that one's a minus one you know woohoo, right so not so here every single one of the of the 35 is unique right not a single duplicate and many ways, they are the theme of the game. I mean, the theme really comes out in the item cards. And it looks like there was a lot of effort put into them. I mean, they all have unique art. Um, they all really feel different than, than one another. And I mean, I, and I, really, I just really love the item cards. I mean, it's, it's almost too cool that they would do that, that they'd just all be unique. You know, it's not a lazy approach at all. So I'm just really surprised by that. So few games have that. The the art is really nice, too, for, for 35 unique cards to have, you know, the nice art. It's really nice. Then another thing I really liked is the location cards. So again, you know, cards and cards where I talked about the NPCs, the character cards were OK, item cards spectacular, location cards spectacular. Again, thematic, very good variety, very good story presence versus, say, Death Angel, where I didn't feel the locations really mattered much. You know, they were just numbers and things. Nice art again. The layout of the room doesn't seem like an issue to me, but it adds variance and general equality for all players, right? Because of whatever way it's laid out is the same for everyone. So, and then the the other thing I love is the whole proximity theme dial uh, and alarm. So, uh, what it is is each turn you'll whoever the active player is or the start player is you'll roll a die one through six, and there'll be an alarm value. So different rooms will trigger alarms. The alarm dial generally goes up. It goes up uh, as high as, I think, 8. And there's certain things you can do in the game to dial the alarm back down. And so you're going to add the alarm value every turn to the dice roll. So potentially, if it was all the way at 8 and you rolled a 6, then you, ro- you rotate the full dial up that many points. So even if you're at 0, then that would be you know 14 in one turn, right? But, but the alarm is going to increase over time. So uh, okay. initially, the first couple of turns, you're only you're only going to be increasing it one to six. You might roll real roll real low, and it goes up two, and then it's four. Uh, you know, and you, if you roll real low, it takes a long time for the proximity to, to to go up. But if you start, everybody starts carelessly tripping alarms. Well, that alarm dial is going to start to go up, and then maybe it's at five. And if people are rolling sixes and stuff, well, you could be going up eleven a turn. That's going to run out the time pretty fast. So how that's managed and that's managed as a group, right? Because you're all kind of it's not really a co-op game in any way, right? But you're all kind of in the same facility. And so there are th- opportunities to manipulate the time for or against you. And so based on where you think, oh, I look like I'm ahead. And that's kind of the point, I guess. Maybe that explains the randomness because you don't want to be able to count. I've got 10, you've got got eight. So I'm ahead. I better try to end it now. There, there's a certain unknown, right? Where I, I've got enough more than you that I should have a higher point t- you know, total. So if I do things to kind of sabotage and and have security come quicker right or alternatively i'm i feel like i'm behind so i better push on and try to get that prototype or something like that so just the whole way that you race against the clock in this one it's you know well i actually read a negative comment that was like well i'd rather just play can't stop well (laughs) yeah it's it's got that you know push your luck element but with you know theme in every which direction right and with other decisions on top of that right and so that's what's really interesting about the game is that it's this push your luck element with really well themed nice little tension decisions and such and I always like dials I mean dials are always cool I, I love games that have dials right so I think Fantasy Flight started that back with Battlestar Galactica and they've they've used it quite a bit since but I remember the old days right of just pushing chits up tracks and this is so much better right or or worse yet, you you had to tally on paper sheets uh, you know it's 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 nice to have the little dial so.
0: right oh yeah
1: and then the last thing the last thing that I would say I really like slash loved about the game is the advanced rules themselves, and they're really good enough that they should have replaced the basic rules with them. so the example is one called data file extraction, and what this is is normally when you take the download action, like I said, the first player gets two, every other player gets one. And this changes it. So now it's a formula. Uh, it's, it, think of it as like bandwidth. So if you're the only one to download in a room, you get four. If there's two people, you get two each. If there's three or more, you each get one because you're like, you know, you're competing for bandwidth, right, in in the room. And, and what this does is most importantly, it means who goes first is less important. And because it addresses that for this key area then the who goes first in terms of okay, I got to activate the interface or I got to go to a room first that is controlled enough through other card play and other choices that I feel like the unacceptable parts of randomness have been removed from the game and 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 everything else is kind of there for a reason and just you know to add variety and interest so uh, and then there's also an ability to do an item card draft so if you that's another one where you can say, well what if you drew four really great items and I drew four of?" Items that I don't really care to use. So, okay, well, if that's a problem, then do this item draft thing, and that solves that. Or pre pick your character, which gives you two set ones and two random ones. So, uh, I think they've really, really looked at it to kind of counter what I've said about uh, some other games. This actually feels like a game that got play tested quite a bit, just because I see that in some of even the optional or advanced rules and the only thing i think you could criticize is why wasn't this data file extraction the standard rule and and i think it's just because maybe some people would find it a little too complicated to remember even though it's printed right on the card right okay well if i'm one i get four if there's two i get two you know so maybe And, and so you know they made a lighter version of the game i don't know so but you know, so all that said, so I said some things I disliked, some things that I was concerned about, or I found you know, meh, and then some things I really liked or loved about the game. So the thing I'd have to stress is this is not a game that you're going to play for the mechanics. It's definitely a game that you play for the theme and the experience of playing, right? So it would be a hard game to rec- for me to recommend on mechanics alone, but in terms of the theme and the experience of playing it, I very much did like it. I very much enjoyed it. Um, I was actually a little surprised because I thought. You know, I re- originally had read the rules and ordered it, and I was excited to get it. And then once I actually punched out the components and started reading the rules again, and I was like, "Really, this is it?" I mean, it seemed very simple. And then, you know, I started. I, you know, we, we took a turn, and one turn into it, I'm like, "Oh, this is not going to work for me. This just, it's, it's just going to be too simple. There's no, nothing going to be nothing to it." But as as I played more, even just in the first game, I started to see the different choices and the different things. And there was, it did seem like there was impact. And then. It, it wasn't a game I was able to decide on based on just the one play, but then as I played more, the opposite of what happened, say with Ground Floor, which was one where I started to play more and I was like, "No, no, this is, this isn't, this isn't working, for me." This one, as I played more, I was like, "Wow, this is, this is really working." <laughs> as I added in the advanced rules, especially and and that type of thing, and I was like, "Okay, um, you know, the game's actually getting better for me each time," and and that's what I look for, right? And I also feel like I'm I'm thinking of. Um, ways to be better at the play so and and it plays fast overall you know it's it's no brain burner but uh, either the theme let's just put it this way the theme came across well enough that i'm actually going to go order an ebook for the android universe you know those little books that fantasy flight publishes Mm -hmm. but i have no interest in doing i haven't in any of the ones they publish haven't had any interest in doing that and just playing this game just a couple of times and i'm I really want to know, you know, I want to read more about this, this universe. I'm, I'm, like, drawn in by this 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 story <laughs> that is the game. So, you know, that the theme of the game could have, like, that much effect on me. It was like a real, you know, bravo for, for 22 bucks. It's like I've, and, and that's the thing. is like, I feel like, okay, even if the game got stale after, you know, whatever it is, a dozen plays or so, then at 22 bucks, I, you know, I feel like I've, for, for me, you know, I, I'm not one that insists on getting 100 plays out of a game. But for me, then I, I got my money's worth, and probably an expansion is going to come out. I mean, it's built that with that in mind. You know, the more room tiles, more item tiles, more characters, more NPCs. It, you know, it will happen. So, and of course, it's Donald X, right? So absolutely. So, um, but this is this is definitely his best theme game yet, where you could argue that you know, Kingdom Builder. I mean, come on, what what themes there? Dominion? What kind of theme is there in Nef- the Nefarious? You know, come on. But uh, <laughs> so, you know, this is like the polar opposite of that. I mean, this is like just all theme, dripping with theme in, in a lot of ways. The the concerns for me were just I, I would have liked to have seen more in the character and NPCs themselves, but as as a subset of the more important location and item cards. That's kind of the reason why is because those two sets of cards are just so brilliantly done and so varied and so well themed. That's just kind of where they inf- infuse the theme and not so much in the, in the other pieces. It's kind of the NPCs are an extension of the location. Your character, you know, is an extension of the item card. So there's if you if you put them both together as kind of a group of these two and those two, then yes, it works very well. And it's well themed. And, and you know, it's, it's just kind of nitpicking to say um, I still imagine like it could be. A little bit better but again that's the type of thing maybe in an expansion as they add a little complexity and stuff then maybe some of that stuff can can come out even more so the only kind of caveat i'll put two caveats on you know i obviously saying i very much like the game i did play all of my plays have been two players uh it's and that's mostly a factor of the fact that i bought this as a t- for as a two-player game which is again why my minor kind of disappointment there that I didn't expect it to kind of be this two two players each thing. But it does work. Uh, it, it actually mitigates some of the concerns I even had. So maybe it even works better as a two-player game. I don't know. I didn't feel odd playing the two characters. Uh, like some games where it, it feels kind of odd to be taking two characters' turns. So, yeah, in a lot of games it is. But in this one, it, it feels more like a squad, right? Okay. So. almost along the lines of Death Angel, where it's like, okay, no, these are just, because I'm just playing one card per person. So it's not like there's this whole involved turn, and then I put them down, and I take this other turn. It's just I've got two guys in my little squad. Okay, I'm going to play. And and you know what? There's actually more strategy, too, because I can try to play off of one. So, okay, this guy's going to crack the the safe, and then my other character operative is going to be positioned to then extract some data out of it, right? Because you get to choose the order. Your turn... Is for both of your uh, operatives, and then you can choose which one you want to have go first. So, in some ways, I actually find more strategy, and, and again, more mitigation to some of the concerns in the two-player game. Which, for as uncreative as it may be, otherwise is, is is a very you know thumbs up for two-player here. Now, with more, you know, because I've been enjoying it, I didn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have planned on taking it out, you know, game night. But maybe I will now, just to see, you know, is it is it any better? Is it any different? You know, what do other people think about it? You know, I've heard some complaints about the higher counts, right? There, there's more competition for the data files. And, you know, with the first turn, turn order thing, maybe you feel a little like left out, like you kind of got screwed out of stuff. And I, I could kind of see that to the higher player count, you know, with six. But a lot of these games are like that, right, where there's, yeah, there's this huge player range, but the game is going to work best at a certain range. And from what I'm seeing, this is a game that works better towards the lower end, where just the fact that it accommodates six, you might think that it works better at the high range. And of course, caveat being all my games have been two players, but looking at how two players work, thinking about how, uh, well, essentially you could say that it's a four player game, right? So um, so two to four seems to work plenty well. Uh, as you would get into five or six, I don't know, that might might break down some of what I've seen more so. Yeah, so uh, Infiltration, a pleasant surprise for me. Fantastic. Okay, what else? Well, another, another game that I've played a, a bit, not a whole lot, because it's a light version, is Tooth and Nail Factions. And this was one I backed on Kickstarter. It's a uh, small box game. So they're the ones that put out Omen Reign of War. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, and, and Irondale and you know, they've had a couple of, of titles. So this was a company that was well, was doing like D V D cases at one point and I'm not a fan at all of that. I think uh, there's been multiple things on Kickstarter where people have done tubes and you know, board gamers like boxes. So I think all these companies need to just understand that it doesn't matter how flimsy a box, or you know how small a box, or how, in some cases, how weird the shape is. But don't do you know tubes, don't do DVD cases, don't yeah. bags and things like that. Just put it in a box and make it the box rectangular, preferably make it a yes. cube.
2: Yeah, yeah,
1: so that you know it fits. <laughs> or up. A triangle. I mean, a pyramid. So in any case, you know I think they've they've kind of picked up on that now more. Yeah. And this is a game for two to four players, but again, seems like it's very much aimed towards two to me, at least in what I've seen. There's kind of an, uh, I think it's like an enemy of my enemy kind of thing with four players and, and such. But on its most basic level, it is reminiscent of Omen, in ter- or at least that's what it reminded me of the most. Because in Omen, which is a game I don't own, but I like, potentially a lot. The, the the one and only issue that I had with Omen, well, two issues. One is they use very odd terminology, which is just really confusing to first-time players, and in fact, even me, if I as I went back to it. And then they had very bad iconography, which is to say none. There was just three numbers on a card, and again, going back to it, you're like, okay, which one is which again? And, and uh, you know, playing with, say, my wife or somebody like that, it'd be very easy to get confused if you didn't know the game well, and so... Okay, so that all aside. Otherwise, Omen was a very creative, innovative little little game, and I am still kind of drawn, you know, or torn between whether I should get it or not. But in that game, the, the neatest thing for me was this little tension, dilemma between you can choose money or a card draw type of mechanic. And in this game, Tooth and Nail, what it is is you can choose an action or a card draw, and that's kind of neat, and I, you know, I, I'm I don't know if it's fully unique in that it's never been in any game, but it definitely feels unique here, and it definitely adds a a level of interest for what's otherwise a very simple game. So, uh, the only things I can I can say that kind of concern me: the rulebook organization was a bit odd. I will say that I I, I really mean that too because it's they just mention items pages before introducing the meaning, which makes it, it just makes for it to be much harder and more confusing than it should be. So uh, I didn't care for that, but basically, if I read the book twice, everything made sense. Or, or really, what I did is I just skipped ahead. I skipped like three pages to where they define stuff, and then I went back. And uh, and at that point, there's a couple other little points of um, pet peeve with the rules where I don't like where they teach rules in examples. And I, I believe they did that twice in this game. So if if you're accustomed to, you know, like a lot of times I don't need the examples because it's a simple game right i mean it's like i'm you know I, I don't need to look through the example for everything but there's actually rules in the example that if you didn't or explanation that if you didn't read the example you wouldn't know and it's not mentioned otherwise so so maybe now, they now would, when you mean example is that the kind where it's like
0: fritz exactly decides to move from here to here and klaus moves from here to here and gets right. three points okay
1: and and then they go oh and you know and then when he attacks the opponent loses X card and nowhere else does it actually kind of go into that. So, uh, or, you know, at least as specific and to the point. Um, so it, it was, it was more than just an example. It was more like a rules clarification. And so I, I just didn't, I didn't, I just overall didn't care for the layout and organization of the rule book. It just didn't really work for me. But that said, reading it twice, I didn't really have any questions. I don't really have any doubt for for how it's supposed to be interpreted. Um, so I guess that's good. I mean, I'd, I'd almost, I guess I'd rather have that in, a, in, a, in an odd layout than one that wasn't clear. So in any case, I, th- I think that that's a problem with not enough blind play testers, right? Because once you know the game or if you've taught it to the game to somebody, then as you read through and prove the rules, you're like, yeah, okay, every, it's all correct. And, you know, be, you really have to get somebody that's never Read it before to start reading through and go, This, yeah, I mean, I have a question here. And it says, Well, what does this word even mean? It's you're talking about the command area and this other area, you haven't even ever defined what that is, what the difference is, you know. And you keep repeating what they are, and then, you know, nine pages in, you actually explain it finally. So, but look at that, that's the most that I can come up with negative, right? I didn't exactly care for the rule book, which was otherwise complete. So. And I'm trying, right? So that's it, that's it. So let's talk about the game itself Um, real quick, simple game. So basically there's two steps when you take your turn. There's what's called a recharge step. So you draw one card from the deck and you gain one action point. So it's really easy to remember, right? Start your turn, you always get a card off and and each player has their own deck, I should say, right? And that's, that's basically the components in the game. I draw one card from my deck, add it to my hand. I get an action point card. An action point card means I can do one action. That, that cost a point and uh, there's five up to five action point cards so at some point I might be able to actually have five actions uh, so that's the first thing and then you get w- plus one of each of those that's the decision point that I was talking about for each troop that's in your command zone as it's called and uh, so if you had three of them you could have you could draw two cards and take one action point you could draw three action point cards you could draw three cards right it's completely your choice each one of them lets you do one or the other of those uh, now there's two zones in the game. There's the command zone, which is part of what I'm talking about now. And then there's the war zone, which is the area you play guys where they can actually attack the opponent. Uh, so the other two things you'll do in this recharge step, besides drawing cards and action cards, is recharge all the troops in your command zone. So that's kind of like untapping them. And then you recharge one troop in the war zone. So as you attack with the ones in the war zone, it's going to take longer for those to recover and able to be able to be used again, Right? if that makes sense. Okay. And then you go basically go to the action step. So now that you have a certain number of action cards, you can now execute actions. Two actions are free. So the units that are in your command area, you can use their command ability, which is basically that's the text ability on the card. You can use that for free. Or as a faction, you have one special ability that's printed on your faction card, and you can use that for free. Then, the actual actions that you have, which could be up to five based on the number of cards you have and it's it's always at least one because you get one at the beginning you can play a troop into your command section or your war section, or you can initiate an attack with that war section so when you think about the action cards there's really it's it 's that simple play troops to one area one of the two areas or attack and that's really your only choices in the game with um, the action point cards so to, to mention the troop cards themselves, they're, they're pretty simple. There's a faction icon, and uh, there's a, a sampling in this light version, but the full game will have different factions. There's a name, of course, and there's one of two types. There's either arcane troops or tech troops, and there's a little symbol for that. And then basically you just have a strength, which every card that I recall was a 1 or a 2, so not a lot of variance there. And then there's the command ability, which is then the re- real unique thing about each card. Uh, so again, you're you're basically deciding, and, and of course typically the ones that are Strength 2 have the better Command Ability. So you're deciding, do I want to play that in my War section and attack with Strength 2, and then lose the ability of using that Command Ability, because I can't use the Command Ability when it's in the War zone. I can only use the Command Ability when it's in the Command zone. But of course I can't attack when it's in the Command zone, I can only attack when it's in the War zone. So an example of the Faction card, so this is like who you are. There's a, a faction bonus, which is what's the free action that you can do. Uh, the the one that's given in this light version is called bolster. So you tap, you know, drain two troops in your command zone, and then you get to draw an extra card or gain an extra action point. So you know, pretty pretty straightforward. And then the other thing that it'll have is it'll have a formation attack. So normally when you go to do an attack, the the you just basically pick a troop, and it's the strength of that troop. And then you can uh, do what's called boosting. So if that troop were an arcane troop, you can discard a per, you know, permanently another arcane troop from your hand and then add one to the strength. So really, your, your range is going to be it's one or two plus one. right? So to be two through three is your total strength. And that's a non-formation attack. But then each faction has a special formation attack. And the one in this sample game is called Tandem Assault. And if you have one arcane troop and one tech troop, which are those little type symbols, then they can both attack together with their total combined strength and then they deal one additional damage. So basically if you had two you're going to deal 5 damage as opposed to the maximum would have been 3 with a non-formation attack, attack. Uh, although you are going to tap both cards. Um, So really, and, and I should talk about the last rule in the game, which is how you win. So you win by running out your opponent's deck, that's like your hit points. So when you have no cards left in your deck, you're done. Uh you're out of the game. So uh obviously doing five damage, and there's no real way to defend, I just if, if I do five damage, you lose five cards off the top of your deck. It doesn't matter what their strength was, it doesn't matter anything, it's just five off the top. Uh you know, if that's if I'm doing a non formation attack and you're losing one, two, or three, you're obviously gonna die a lot slower. Okay? So the immediate first problem I saw with the game, just on the first play, was like, okay. This game's not going to work at all because if you if you draw your two, twos early on, right, and I don't, well, then then bam, right, you lay out a two, you lay out another two, and you're doing your formation attack. You're you're hitting me for five every turn, and I'm going like, what the heck? I mean, all I got is ones, right? That's not fair. But here's the thing, so. There's command cards that let you retrieve destroyed troops. So as you're killing me, then you're you're putting cards in my discard pile. Well, those, some of those have probably got to be a two. There's the possibility to kill some of the opponent's combat troops outright. There's other things that as you look at the the text on the card, there's really ways to kind of manipulate it in, in different directions based upon what you drew. And then and it's, it's you know, that's sort of hand optimization type of game, right? Where you, you've got the hand of cards. And you're, How can I best use what I have here? to accomplish, you know, the goal of, of winning. I mean, to talk about the, the sort of neat decision points in the game then is there there is that. First of all, do I draw or do I take an action? Now think about that. It, naturally, if I draw more cards, I'm going to have more options, right? More ability to have drawn that two uh, attack card or that really good command card. But what am I doing? I'm bleeding myself out as I do that, right? I'm, I'm killing myself. Right. I'm taking cards off of my hit point stack so there's only a certain level that you maybe want to do that versus taking more actions and of course I, what good is it drawing cards if I can't place them in the in the various areas, if I develop my command area that ultimately gives me more draws and more actions so I need to do that but if I do that I'm not attacking the enemy enough by putting them in the war zone right? and then even if I'm playing cards well then I'm not attacking so I need to use my actions to also attack and try to do that but then where is the uh, the trade-off there, right? So that's a, a really neat decision point, that whole action versus uh, uh, draw, and then, of course, the the double of the draw affecting that, and point two being then the combat area versus the command area. And then, you know, this, this the other thing about the command area, which I didn't talk about, is your card's eliminated if you use the ability. So I use that special ability. Now I have that decision because, first of all, there's a maximum of three cards in the command area. Maximum of six in the war area. So if I use two of my command abilities, which are otherwise free, I've now just put my command down to one. So next turn I'm only going to draw, you know, I'm going to get one draw and one action and then my choice between either another draw and another action instead of three choices, right? Uh, Unless I otherwise can play out more of those cards. And so that's a neat dilemma. There is a a trick too where, so the, the cost, if you don't want to discard a command card, uh, you know, a card that's played in your command area, is you have to discard a card of the same name. You discard a troop of the same name from your hand. Now you can keep that in your area for free. So uh, normally it would cost you an action to play that extra card. So you would you would do the command ability and then an action to do that. But now you can just discard it right from your hand, still just use the command ability for free. Doesn't take an action, but your guy stays in the command uh, area. So that's another neat thing that, that kind of happens in a way that you're trying to uh, to work with things. So, I mean, all in all, I don't know if all of that would be enough if the game didn't play out as fast as it does, but it, it really does play out uh, quickly. And for that reason, and the likelihood that there's more variance in the full game, I, I think the, the mechanics do work here. I, I like the art as well. In a way, it almost is kind of... The whole thing gives me a little bit of a summoner wars vibe, you know, with the factions and, and the artwork and things like that. And for similar reasons, I guess it's kind of hard to rate for me because I, I, I'm almost concerned that it is a little bit too simple and that there aren't going to be enough clever plays and combo opportunities or whatever else would warrant a lot of repeated play. And, you know, again, this it's the sort of game where you're, you're looking to progress in skill, I think, as you play one to the next, even though it's otherwise kind of a filler, I think it would be too light if it didn't have that other, those other levels to it. So the question is, do the continued faction var- varieties in that Summoner's War sort of way give it enough life? You know, is, do future expansions come out that add to it? Uh, or do, do as included, as they're included, do they just have enough flavor of strategy in existence? Um, you know, hopefully that each one has kind of its own unique feel with strategy and, uh, and reason for existing as a separate faction. I'm not sure yet on any of those points, because you know, the light version is really just a sampling. But in every way that I've seen it, playing the, the light version, uh, I'm, I'm pretty well sold on the promise of what the full game would contain. And looks like this is going to be a game, uh, you know, again, uh, it's, it's impossible to say I didn't play the real game, but I'm uh, so far impressed. We'll, we'll leave it at that. Okay. And then the the third game that uh, it was actually a game I got played with six players uh, with my wife, and this was Railways of the World. So I, I don't know if this is one you've heard of, Rob. It's been around yeah. for a while. Oh, yeah. But this is sort of the Martin Wallace Eagle Games, Glenn Drover version of, you know, we'll say Age of Steam. Similar in a lot of ways. Uh, but it, you know, it was a, we had an opportunity to, to uh, you know play with six gamers, and we were kind of looking for what what would be a good game to play with six. And I, I kind of dragged this along because I'd sort of realized that it's been a long time since I've played train games. And as I looked at my collection, I've 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 pruned uh, like probably way too many of them out of my collection. And uh, you know, I, I, I'm not a big pick up and deliver fan. But then of course I was talking about how I do like Perry Rodin and, and Merchant of Venus and. Well, not so much Valdora, but Africana, which is you know has that to it. And I you know started thinking about it. And I was like, well, no. What I what I'm not a fan of is games where that's pretty much all that you do, right? But but where it's a mechanic within this larger game, it can really be a fun you know aspect. It really adds some interest. So that's a segue to say that I was reminded playing railways of the world just how much i do like the train games where you have you know and basically what it is is it's a it's a board you know it's eastern united states and you're you're doing a, a bit of route building from city to city and then as you connect the cities you can move goods and ultimately that's you know how you you know go forward in the game so i like the game quite a bit i'm you know, again, intrigued enough that I'm actually relooking at some of the train games I haven't played in, in a long time, like the 18XX games that are long and you know, kind of math-heavy. But you know, I did did have fun playing them uh, back when and, and such. So uh, this one's just kind of nice because it's a nice step up from you know, your Ticket to Ride, where it's actually like a real train game, right? It might be simplified in certain ways, but uh, it it definitely gives you that train game experience without being real rules heavy. I mean, I think the, like the bulk of the rules are on two pages within just some components overviews and some other stuff, but you know, most of it is on two pages and then as you go one expansion to the other, then the expansion adds like two pages of custom rules which is kind of a nice way to have built the system. So it's a very expansion friendly system and the other thing which is a, kind of was a neat thing that uh, struck me as I played this is I wonder if this has more appeal to almost like war gamers too, because there are logistics involved and, and that's one of the things that I, I like war gamers like, at least in operational level games that, you know, you're kind of figuring out the best way to move, you know, it's not troops, but now it's how you move cubes. Right. And it's not the front that you're kind of expanding, but your connectivity of cities. And it, in a way, it's the same sort of thought process that you might have in certain war games. And, and I think that's a reason why these types of games maybe appeal to me also. And, you know, it's just the logistics aren't too bad. It's it's not that complicated, really, to think out. Uh, but, you know, what it is is you, your train engine is going to be at a certain level, one through eight in this game. And that's the number of links that you can deliver th- through. So initially, you can only pick up a cube from an adjacent city and deliver it to the matching colored city. But as your train grows, now you can go through three links, through four links, etc., uh, if you use other people's links, there's a benefit to them, which is uh, you know another example of like this just reminds me that much more of like City Tycoon why I didn't like that game because it 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 tried to copy a lot of these elements but just it doesn't work like uh, like a true train game does with with these type of mechanics so th- there there's a, a good ability to plan ahead which is another you know, rewarding thing that you can kind of make a long-term strategy uh, even when you first are picking where you want to go in the game. You kind of look at, uh, okay, there's a concentration of this color cube, you know, maybe I can move those to here, that type of thing. Uh, maybe I could save these, hold these back for higher points at the end, because if you deliver, you deliver a cube one link, you're only scoring you know, one essentially, but if you can wait and score it over six, you're going to score more points, right? So it's how much do I want to move initially versus how much do I want to move uh, later on? Uh, And then there's that tension But maybe somebody else will take it, because we're all kind of competing over some of the same stuff. So especially in the border cities where you're connected and I'm connected, because you have to be connected to take, on the initial link, you have to be connected to go over it. And so that's interesting. And uh, What had happened in this game is I had carved out a spot in kind of the southeast off by myself, and I'd I'd made myself a black city for high points. So one of the things you can do in the game is develop uh, a city into a a neutral color. You can turn it into a black and say, okay, I've got all these black cubes, so now I'll be able to deliver them and do it in a way where it's over a a larger number of links. Uh, That was really interesting. Uh, you know, I'd, again, it's been ages since I've played this game, and so uh, as I started remembering all the things I liked about it, you know, it was it was a lot of fun. And you know, the thing is, I, I ultimately lost because I had two less optimal cube deliveries. It really did come down to the wire at the end, and others were able to do a little bit better. Uh, that's kind of my concern for the game that all of the things being equal, it might not matter enough what you do that you know certainly experienced players would beat inexperienced players but amongst experienced players it, it may well be swayed a little bit too much by just where the cubes happen to be just where the you know colors of cities happen to be or there's cards involved too so there's a card draw uh, now there is bidding for turn order and that mitigates that concern quite a bit because Really, you just spend the money and make sure you can go first and this decide certain things. And, uh, you know, I think the player who won was winning first place more than anyone else. So there's probably a good defense of that that is is a good mechanic in the game. So my, my wife had been more in the middle with Chicago and Indy, which is, I think, maybe a little bit less normal of a go-to spot. The northeast section tends to be the, the best. And she kind of had run out of stuff to do at one point but you know uh, probably should have done more developing you know and again, again as you play more I think you you sort of realize the pacing just like an in infiltration even just in our second game I, I I forgot to mention that by the way we made it out successfully every everyone so um, you know there there is certain something to be said for timing elements in some of these games so as you as you play you sort of realize that and you know okay I'm gonna I'm running out of steam no pun intended right and and uh, so I need to make sure that I uh, add some more cubes to the board. I develop some cities and, and whatnot. I, I will say, though, Rob, I, I don't know if this game would be for you for one particular reason. Why is that? The color matching is the worst ever. Really? Yeah, purples and blues. I mean, I and, and let's pretend I'm the least colorblind person ever. The purple on the board is like a, a magenta versus like a dark purple cube. I mean, it's that far off. And then the blue on the board is like a light purple versus like a, a dark blue you know, or something to that effect. I mean, it's really, really, really confusing. And, I mean, with people who have played before and you go, oh, oh, wait, 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 oh, that is blue, not purple. And um, that's disappointing. And I, I don't know if they ever did do a corrected print run. I know some of the expansions um, didn't have that problem. But, uh, you know, that that's kind of the my big hate point for the game. And also the insert totally sucks. I mean, it's like the worst cardboard (laughs) flimsy. I mean, I actually tried to use it. I didn't want to use a Plano for this and I had all my stuff in there and and I I haven't even gotten my copy plate all that many times. And it was, it was just tearing apart and I stored flat and everything, but uh, it just did not survive. So I, I had to Plano the whole thing. There's some, uh, screwage in the game too, where, you know, you, you try to block people, there's not a lot of ability to merge tracks and stuff you can kind of just cross so you can take up hexes where nobody else can play you can steal cubes uh maybe even like to score less points you would have scored six and i'll just score one just because i want to you know screw you over and of course then you get the the king making comments and and such but it's one of those games where i have to rate it for what it tries to be and you know and that's another little segue but it's kind of like uh you know especially playing like children's games right i mean if if i every one of them would be a 1 then compared to right a game that i rate a 10 or a 9 right i mean you kind of have to rate it for what it is or what it tries to be so railways of the world for being a train game for being a slightly lighter more accessible version for having being very expandable with expansion in minds the components are beautiful by the way i forgot to mention that i mean the, they're like little i mean when i say they're plastic models of of like a uh, you know uh, the the little I forget what they call it, but the water tower where, you know, the locomotives would get um, water to cool the engines and stuff. I mean, just everything in the game is just the components are spectacular. Uh, So, in all ways, I think it really achieves what it sets out to be and and do, and and be just like this, you know, slightly more simplified Age of Steam. Uh, You know, it's nowhere near 18xx in in, in, uh, complexity. I will say my wife didn't enjoy the game so much now the main reason wasn't the game itself it was just the length of the game and that was as much a factor of playing with six uh now i want to say it was around the three hour mark so again by no means what some of these other games that we've played have been uh, you know that push four and five for me because i played 18xx and i think our last 18xx game was like a 10 or 12 hour affair you know a three hour train game is like nothing so uh, but I don't think I'll be able to convince my wife to play it so much anymore. Well, I think what I'll do is the base game ships with Railways of Mexico, and that's like a little two player map. So, since she otherwise, I think, enjoyed the game, uh, maybe I'll, I'll play that again with her. And she actually had played it before. She's just, it's been that long that she had forgotten. She's like, no, I've never played this game. I'm like, oh, well, yes, you have. <laughs> She's like, no, I haven't. But we had played it a, a bit when I'd first got it, and I've had it a long, long time. So, uh, but again, long story short, uh, for what it is, uh, I do enjoy it, but. Uh, I kinda of have noticed that I, I'm missing some heavier train games from my collection, so yeah, maybe I'll I'll get one just because I I do enjoy them on occasion. So Railways of the World. Alright. Thumbs up. Sweet. You know, other than that, as far as what else I've been playing. I'll talk about them more in detail uh, on another show, but I've been playing uh, quite a bit of, of Thurn and Taxes, Downfall of Pompeii, Tories. Uh Now, some of those have been Yucatan plays, just a supplement, but all of those have kind of gone back in since I own all the physical copies. I'm trying to get those played again with my wife and such, so I'm going to be doing that probably with the three of those, and I'll cover those in a future show, just what my updated thoughts are on, on those and, and uh, that type of thing, so... How about you, Rob? Uh, you got any games played this last week? or? I forgot.
0: <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's been a pretty light week for me. I got uh, a couple of games of Numerian, uh, also the Busytown Airport. Mm-hmm. And I brought Zuloretto Wurflspiel to work. Okay. And I suckered uh, 2 coworkers in to play it during lunch. That was actually today. And what I wound up doing is, I mean, it's in a fairly small box. It's a very uh, tiny game. Maybe the box is probably about four to five inches square. Right. Maybe two inches tall. And what I did is I made it even a little bit more portable, where I grabbed all the dice, comes with ten dice, stuffed them in my pocket, and then I made a photocopy of the board, and uh, you know, I also stuffed that in my pocket. Wow. And then... The, it comes with these little scoring sheets, so I just grabbed three of them, and uh, we went off to lunch. And I showed it to them during lunch, and then they said, "Sure, yeah, we'll try it." And it, it was it was a lot of fun. It was actually interesting, where this is the first time that it ever actually happened to me, where one of uh, my coworkers was uh, he made a sarcastic comment about me forgetting to explain what the <laughs> what the Oops. ending of the game was. Oh, okay. You know, that was one thing that I'd always read in BGG, you know, say that up front. Yeah, you almost
1: almost should start out with that. Oh, yeah. And and then kind of full circle, right? Say it at the end as well, then after all the rules, then it kind of makes sense why that's the win condition.
0: Yeah, because I listened to a bunch of the shows on how to explain the rules, and I thought I had everything explained perfectly. And then it's, oh! And of course, you know, as it so happens... I brought it up right as I was about to win the game. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that was kind of funny. But,
1: so what did they think, though, otherwise of the game?
0: Uh, they enjoyed it. We actually, I had a conference call that I had to be on, so we ended it prematurely maybe about two, three minutes before the game would have uh, mm-hmm. uh, ended on its own. But I really think that I'm going to bring it again tomorrow, and I'm really hoping they're going to say, hey, you want to try that? Because what really surprised me was, I thought it was going to be a fairly quick game. But when, I mean, it was playing with three versus two, which is how I normally play it. Right. I mean, it it took a little while. I want to say it took maybe like 15 minutes. And I mean, I was really shocked. I and, thought and it was you know, through.
1: I, th- I had thought about this the other day, and I need to go back and like listen to my review. But I, I can't remember if I remembered to point out that this is a game that... If you played it with four, I don't think you're going to enjoy as much as if you played it with two or three. So, really? yeah, I haven't played it with four as many times, but I, there's just a little more, little more lack of control with that many more players. So, and
0: with four players, it also uses a four truck board versus a three right. truck and it, board. and it takes more, and so it
1: and naturally three. takes more time, as, as you were saying too, with more yes. players. So, I, I think for me, when, when I was saying you know how much I like the game and stuff, I was really referring to the two player but I kind of also include, yeah, I enjoy it with three and I still find enough control in the three-player game. With four, I, I've tended to win, but just because I play more, but I, I think amongst equally skilled players, the randomness would start to impact it more with with that player count. So. Oh,
0: yeah. So, I mean, it was interesting. It was the first introduction for them into uh, our hobby. I know uh, one of them was... You know, she's played a bunch of you know your typical card games. That's really about it. And then the other one, you know, he's familiar with you know the typical games. He's got a seven-year-old daughter, I believe. Okay. So, you know, he knows the shoots and ladders. the
1: Oh, now so trouble! You, you, you and so can't forth. say those names because I I spent all this time bleeping those out of our last episode. <laughs> oh, you mean all the ones you were playing? Well, no. Every time you said, I had to I had to bleep the word. I didn't want to be mentioned in a, in a show about, you know, hobby games. Yes. So please don't say <laughs> ever again. Okay. I won't say
0: thank you. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was interesting. Actually, I've, I, I'm trying to keep from falling into the trap of bringing in something new, you know, cause oh, with yes. the hobby, it's like, yes, yes, yes. Oh, yes, yes. Great. Big you like Zula, uh, you know, the dice game, you know, okay, tomorrow right. I'm going to bring this other one.
1: This week have... through the ages or <laughs> yeah. ever insert more complicated, too complicated for a new player game here.
0: I'm going to bring a war game and you're going <laughs> to love it. Yeah,
1: yeah. it's like uh, the 10-step program or 12-step program, right? I mean, even, yeah. at, even at that, you've got to do like baby steps in between each one. So the first thing is to absolutely beat it through them that they enjoyed this one particular game. Oh, yeah.
0: And one thing that we had talked about while we were walking back to the office was that... As simple of a game that it is, I mean you just roll dice, you put them on trucks, and you take them off trucks essentially it, it's got a fair amount of uh, i call it thinkiness to it
1: right and and the or, and the key is that that see they're going to learn two things they're going to learn that okay, not all these games are that complicated right I actually got this game, and that too, even for as simple as it was, what well, gee, that was a whole lot more fun than <laughs> 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 that than I've otherwise been familiar with, so yeah. You know, and you're saying, hey, this is kind of like this is just the beginning, you know, I wonder what, what else there is then beyond that. Oh yeah. This is just the start. Exactly. So tomorrow I'll bring in Command and Colors.
0: Or yeah. <laughs> or a submarine game. Anyway, so that was uh Zularetto Werfelspiel or Zularetto the Dice Game, which as it so happens, is our contest prize.
1: We do have a contest. And, uh, of course, due due to the delay between recording a show and airing a show, we're just now starting to get the entries as our last show, we haven't even yet posted yet, and that was the one, uh, that was the show that we recorded the day that we posted the original announcements. So that's a long way of saying there's still plenty of time to enter to win one of two import copies of Warful Spiel. And to enter the contest, you must be a member of the This Board Game Life Guild on BGG. And that's amongst other reasons, so we can kind of track you down, especially if you do leave us a voicemail. Check our website contact us page for a link, or it's otherwise in the podcast guild section on Board Game Geek. We will have two drawings, one for each copy. To enter both drawings, one and two, leave a voicemail at 754 444 8245, or send us your pre recorded MP3. Recording of yourself, and to enter just one, you for a single entry, that is, you can uh, send us an email at contact at this life.com. And then some ideas of what to send in would be just comments on our show, your view of anything we've given an opinion on, whether you uh, agree or disagree, thoughts on a game you've recently played, maybe one we haven't talked about, any kind of brief board game related rant, uh, topic that uh, has you, uh, you know, with a passionate opinion about. Or uh, even if it's just something like a request for us to review or comment on a specific game or topic based upon maybe something else we've said that's uh, raised your curiosity. So those are some ideas or anything else you can come up with. As long as you get that voicemail or email out to us by the last day of June, then uh, your entry will be considered valid. So that would be by midnight of Saturday, June 30th. Right, central time. Yes,
0: central U.S. time
1: right and and also just to point out we have been getting many 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 more email entries so consider the voicemail your chances odds are going to be a lot better i know it's uh people are shy but hey you could win yes it's an easy way to get a copy of this game okay
0: section here, which is
1: uh, Game Lust. Game Lust, yes. I have two for this week, or four, depending on how you count. Okay. The first one I want to talk about, and actually, oddly enough, these are Kickstarter things, so uh, it's kind of nice. I, I I think it was the last show, or no, the one before the last, where there had been four Kickstarter games that kind of didn't work for me, and now here I've sort of reviewed uh, Tooth and Nail, which I think very much did work for me, and uh, now I'm going to talk about a couple other ones, which I think are going to work for me but I will know in a bit as I, as I play them. But the first one is a game called The Duke, which is by Catalyst Games. They're the Shadowrun people, and they also have that, like, um, steampunk game with the, uh, with the minis and such, but names escaping me at the moment. But in any case, they haven't done as much with the board game world, but there's a little game called The Duke, which, uh, by any other description, example or someone talking about I, I i might have even gone so far as to kind of laugh at it <laughs> right so it, it to to say it a way that doesn't sell it well it would say it's kind of like a chess variant which is like the last thing i have any interest in right i played chess eons ago completely you know over that there's just so many other things to spend my time on but This is interesting because, first of all, it's really, really nice components. There are these little wood square pieces. And what it is is it's played on, or currently anyway, the game is, I think, yeah, it's a six-by-six grid. And you have a bag that you draw your pieces out of. And you, you might draw, they have different names, a pikeman, a general a knight, a champion, and then there's like a little a superimposed grid on each of these chits, which tell you how they can move, how, how they can attack, and it's kind of then this game, uh, in, a, in a way again, similar to Chess, where you're trying to corner your uh, opponent's uh, duke and if you do that, then you win. But the the mechanisms behind how you do that and some of the other things that they've put in the game, and there's you know forts and flags, mountains, and other stuff I'll probably get into more detail in after I, I kind of play this uh, uh, print-and-play version. But I'm really intrigued. I'm really intrigued. And you know what? One thing, uh, and the reason I, I probably bothered to look at this in the first place is the actual Kickstarter video goes through quite a bit of a game and really I think gives you a good feel as if you were playing it of what playing the game would be like what the experience of playing the game would be like and it was very very convincing to me Uh, it's an you know it's just reminiscent a little bit it's definitely an abstract but it has positional strategy some spatial strategy but very much its own thing I mean it's not I wouldn't even call it a chess variant right it just kind of reminds me of that so I'm very intrigued by that very curious to see and it wasn't tremendously expensive to back either so the the basic game was 30 bucks and then you can get they're they're going to you know do all kinds of fancy versions and stuff but uh that was one and then the other game is the Sig, Sid Saxon collection so have you seen any mention of these rob the signature series uh, no i haven't I know it, the individual games. I didn't know there was a collection. Yeah, so this is Sid Saxon, who did a Can't Stop that we've talked about, uh, yep. Choir, which is another game I'm uh, a right. big fan of. And, you know, there's others. Bizarre, too. There you go. Right. But uh, originally, and I owned uh, at least two of these games. And it's funny, that's a nice little tie-in to this episode, because the third one, I can't remember if I owned it or not, or if I uh, – actually, I can't even remember if I played it. I might have watched it being played or read about it being played in an article. <laughs> That's how, how bad my memory is. But I definitely own personally and played the first two, which is uh, the three games are Sleuth, Venture, and Monad or Monad. And th- what's nice about this collection is there are three very different games. So to, to talk about two of them first, and I'll talk a little bit more of, of uh, the last one. Well, the, the easy one is Monad, which is it's kind of a, a numbers manipulation game uh, where you're playing different cards and such. And then Sleuth is kind of your deduction game where there's gems and you, you basically take one out and then everybody's trying to figure out which of the missing cards there is. But instead of asking random questions, which is not something I never like in deduction games, one of the reasons I don't care for Mystery of the Abbey so much, um, you're playing certain cards to, to do that for you uh, in, a, in a little bit more of a Code 777 way. So that's Sleuth. But then the real game, the real sort of gem in the, in the trilogy for me is Venture. And Venture is an economic card game which there really just aren't very many of these. There are, there are, I, I, I don't know of, of a whole lot like that. So, uh, again, this is probably something I might go into more depth in a, in a future show, but uh, we try to keep the, the game lust segments kind of short, but just to say that these are these are games that I've kind of been lusting after, and in this case I've played and owned two of them in the past, and uh, I can at, at least thumb, thumbs up venture, absolutely. And if you like deduction games, then Sleuth will be uh, a must. And if you like games where you play, you know, to uh, manipulate numbers and such, then then the third one's a winner too. So to be able to get a trilogy, and again, this was, you know, at a at a at a pretty, uh, it's 55 bucks for all three in a special signature case. You know, I had to do it. So
0: okay. how about you? Okay, for me, uh, it's a continuing Trahan Trajan.
1: <laughs> Still lusting over that. Lust yeah. over that. I you keep hearing information copy. about it. It's going to be available. You can get it now.
0: Yeah. At first, I was like, hopefully, it's going to be available. Then it might not be available. And I was actually thinking of getting a copy from Europe. But, uh, you know, hopefully, it's going to be out soon. Also, Africana. Uh, that's something that, which will be released shortly. Definitely been looking forward to that one after playing. Um, oh, what is that? What is that game?
1: Valdora. Valdora, yeah.
0: Well, for some reason, I had
1: Vanuatu, yeah. and, and I'm and I'm getting to where I can almost do a, a final opinion on that myself. Um, okay. But I'm still trying to get more plays in of that. So,
0: okay, so that one is uh, Michael Schacht game, of course. Yes. And then uh, I mentioned it earlier, Urbion, oh, right? From uh, the guy that the made Onorim. Onorim, and yeah. uh, this is another one with the interesting name. The guy's name was what? Ah, uh, from Shadi torby with uh some very interesting crazy art depicting just like an owner room good dreams bad dreams Mm -hmm. all sorts of stuff it's a one to two player game card game small form factor and uh i believe it was z-man that's going to be coming out with it okay if uh if i remember correctly and that's about it for me
1: To listener feedback
0: yes sir so here I'll, I'll start off with the first one so the first thing that we got is from todd from winnipeg if you don't know what to you know write in for the contest entry here's some great examples okay this one's from todd from winnipeg uh, first off i want you both to know that your podcast is excellent is there a reason why we did chose this one first
2: <laughs>
0: anyway uh, I'm astonished by the quality, sound content, flow, etc. Most podcasts start off rough with various kinks to iron out and get much better over time. This board game life sounded great right off the bat. That being said, the last two episodes, number 11 and number 12, have been my favorite. Anyways, on to the question. What are your favorite mechanics and which games best illustrate them? For example, I love auction games and think that Speicherstadt is really neat and innovative. And I think, uh, I think you and I can both agree with that one.
1: Yes, for auction games, absolutely.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, also, what are your very favorite fillers? Mine are Colorado, Parade, and Celtus Stones. And it says, uh, Celtus Stones, lighter than air, but fun. Mm-hmm. And I would like to defend Notre Dame, which isn't my favorite feld game, but is still a solid game. The new person cards from the Aaliyah treasure chest add a nice... Variability and there are many paths to victories. It is a cube pusher, but one that I like and still holds up in my opinion. Thanks for the time and work you both put into the podcast. I look forward to episode number 13, Todd from
1: Winnipeg. So, a couple questions there that we need to respond to then. Yeah. The first question was favorite mechanics. So, you want to take that one first?
0: Sure. For me, my favorite mechanics would have to be. Uh, worker placement—it's—it's <laughs> it's something that I really love, and I know people kind of change, you know, from time to time. You know, as as certain games become the hot game, and uh, you know, other ones kind of get old. But you know, even like Stone Age, which was one of my first worker placement games, uh, you know, I, I still enjoy it to some extent, and I love Manhattan Project, like we've been talking about last couple episodes. So how about you, Jeff?
1: Well, it's it's harder for me to answer because my gaming tastes vary across so many types of games. So I've typically answered differently when asked the question and said that above anything else, I like a spatial element and spatial strategy in a game. Okay. And one way that I came to that understanding was, like again, when I was younger, one of the games I just obsessed over was Upfront, which is a Almost like a, car, a squad-level card game, and I thought that that meant that I must be this massive card game fan, right? If my favorite game, you know, is a card game, then how could I not be? And then as I started just getting all these other card games, and especially even just card war games, and realizing I didn't like any of these things, and I started real, well, why is it different? And then I thought about it, and I was like, well, in upfront, it very much matters, kind of the the layout of the cards there's a there's a certain proximity to other cards and there are sort of the again this sort of spatial element where things are positioned and you look at a game like Summoner Wars for instance which may be the modern version you know very simple by comparison but a game where this has basically most people think of it as a card game but you're laying out cards it matters how they're oriented to one another some of the mechanics in the game very much revolve around that so I tend to, even with card games, prefer games where there's some spatial element. That's that's why one of my pet peeves are boards that are of no importance, right? That you could pretty much eliminate and, and, and not have lost much. So I so I like that spatial elements. I, I would say I mean looking at the games I've kept and that I'm drawn to, that worker placement is is definitely a mechanic that I do favor. I think in some ways that is the go-to. Definition of a euro game these days, uh, there tend to be a lot of worker placement games anyway. Um, route building I, I tend to like in games uh, you know f- because of the war game history, the logistics and again, it was kind of a perfect episode to get the comments in right, but you know you look at the train games and stuff, you know having the logistics part of it that that sort of appeals to me. combat themes and such again uh, that's probably my uh, attraction to. Uh, Ameritrash games right it's 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 hard to say that there's a particular mechanic that I do or don't favor I'm I'm, it's generally more like themes or games as a whole that I, I focus on and it just happens to be coincidental that there's mechanics they share but again if I had to answer spatial strategy route building worker placement that's what comes to mind anyway uh, okay. as opposed to say auction which I'm not as big of a auction game that's one of the reasons I do like yeah. spikerstadtt and uh, Strasburg, because they they are very creative with that right don't typically oh, yeah. like um, deduction games don't typically like push your uh, push your luck games right but yet when a game is really creative with those things that, then I tend to really um, latch onto that, and then it's something much more unique in my collection. And co-op games is another one, right? But there are co-op games that I really enjoy. I just don't right. tend to have tons and tons of these. So, uh, another, you know, actually, I'll throw another one out, too. And this is more of my wife and I, tile-laying games. I think I, I do enjoy just the, almost like the puzzle aspect in, in, a, yeah, good, in so. a good yeah. one. Right? There's a lot of, like, really too light makes, um, you know, to an extent, even like Quirkle is almost like a, you know, Piling game, right? Like the mass market version, but but I was thinking more like the carcassone. Uh, yeah, I've got I've got an odd one called Basilica, or just you know it, it, Walnut Grove, right? I tend to be attracted to at least be interested to see what's going on in uh, in the, that type of game. Right. Oh yeah. So
0: yeah, you know, I also I don't know if I would say dislike, but I, I really don't care for auction games myself. And Speicherstadt does a very nice.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and you and you got to get, get Kaish Spiker, if you're in any way a fan of style. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, there was one other, the Dicey Heroes, whatever you call them. Now, some of those are worker placement-ish, you yeah. know, too, but uh, but I, I tend to... It's just worked out that way, right? Because you know, Castles of Burgundy, Aliens Frontiers, Lords of Vegas, Kingsburg. And I'm sure there's others that aren't coming to mind, but, you know, those are all kind of games yeah. that I've liked, so... Absolutely. And speaking of Speicherstadt and uh, Kai Specker,
0: the expansion fits nicely in the box of the full game.
1: Yes. Did you pick it up finally? Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. I
0: actually, it was very hard, but I actually pitched the box.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I probably should do... It was so, it it sat so oddly. I should do that for games I know I'm not getting rid of. Uh, I I usually hold on to other ones because, well, if I ever sell it, but... um, the problem I have is, see, again, being in the hobby so long, no matter how certain you are that you're never getting rid of a game, that there's no guarantee, right? I mean, I've basically gotten rid of every single game that I had owned, you know, 20 years ago, um, and, and and it's and then, yes, there's nothing today that's going to be better than Spiker stop, but you know, let's say in 15 years, who's to say there aren't 15 better auction games, and you look back at this and go, eh, you know. Or components have, have evolved so much, you know, or whatever the case might be. I don't know. I just, um, or it becomes this collector's piece, right, where it's now worth hundreds and hundreds and hundreds yeah. of dollars. But you don't have the box, so too bad.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so it's only worth two.
1: Well, I don't know. I just I, right now I have the room for it because I, I because I had gotten rid of so many games, uh, you know, I have like a lot of empty self, shelf space. But you know, yeah. hey, um, we're getting off topic. So yes, okay, back so. To,
0: the next thing that Todd asked was, uh, what are your favorite fillers? Yes,
1: you for first me, again.
0: Yeah, For me, my favorite fillers, and I've got a whole bunch of them, uh, number one is probably Ascension. And,
1: uh, yeah, although that's we, teetering on really, what people consider fillers, but yeah, yeah. But
0: we use it actually as a filler. It yeah. is kind of our, our go-to game. I agree, it's actually as, as fairly light. Goes,
1: it's fast to set up and fast enough to get through. Extremely
0: yeah. fast. I mean, it's a card game. It's nothing like Dominion. Red. Thank goodness. <laughs> in terms of setup, sure, and which is it, why it's it just gets fun as much
1: as it does. Exactly. So.
0: Exactly. Uh, Zularetto Werfelspiel mm. is another one. Numeri
1: right? Numeri is obviously you, you a mentioned that one quite a bit. So,
0: oh yeah, mm. you know, I, like I mentioned on previous shows, it's a game that's actually fun. You know, it's not the best game in the world, but it's fun enough that you can actually play it every once in a while. And my four-year-old son, or soon-to-be four-year-old son, he enjoys the heck out of it, and he knows the rules, and he can, yep. and he can
1: play it, which is just fantastic. Okay. So, what else? Anything else? Um, I- Colorado yep.
0: is also a nice one.
1: So then, I, I suppose my answer, again, I have kind of a an odd answer because it's a real problem for me to answer this question, and, and I, I've alluded to it before, but. A lot of the filler games I had, I, I ended up deciding I didn't really care for, and a lot of filler games in general that I play, I, I find I don't care for. They're, they're too too quick, too light, and uh, when I when I go out and play games, I prefer to just play a middle level game, like say like an infiltration, which is not really a filler, but it's still a, you know thirty minute game or something. Yeah. And and so I never really brought these with me, and even with my wife and myself, you know, we would typically you know pick a game a knight or something like that. And that said, though, and I'm trying to find more that do appeal to me, but the, I'll take the opportunity to point out two, particularly uh, with you know the more war-themed enthusiasts. There's a little game called The Battle for Hill 2.18, which I absolutely love. In fact, I, I would say it's... Um,
0: oh, is that that airplane game?
1: And, uh, not really an airplane game. There's airplanes in it.
0: Yeah: But uh, it's done with the cards.
1: Yeah, battle for, for Hill 218. It's yeah. by uh, your move games, I think it was all of like five or six dollars. Uh, it's, it's a deck of cards, but wow, does this game have strategy? I mean, it, to the point of there's an online simulator, if you're not convinced, and you, you go to the website, you will never win. So how is that possible? If this game and so you know and a lot of the other games where I said there's a lot of strategy to it, right? That's debatable. You know, or you might have had a different experience than me or played with different people. But this one is as easy as that. Go play against the AI. If the AI can beat you every time, and it still beats me most of the time. Yeah. And it will. Yeah. And I've played a lot. And yeah. I haven't played in ages, but I've played a lot when I did. And so then there's got to be something to this game. So a five or six dollars game like that, that is a gem. And Absolutely. I mean, I've I've taken this and played it with my dad. I've played it with. It's otherwise pretty simple rules. That's the the magic of it. And I will, you know, I'll talk about it at length some other time. But just to say, I'm very 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 big fan of this. And uh, it's otherwise not all that well known lately. I think it, it got a lot of buzz at at the time. And the other one I'll throw out there, just again, just to mention games that maybe not everybody's heard of. Obviously, Zooler at a Warful Spiel is is um, an up and coming game, and I share and like of that. But the game I was going to mention is a game called Ivanhoe. And this is a—it's a, actually a Reiner Knizia game, so in some ways, you know, famous designer. But it's a game that GMT put out a long time ago, like to the tune of like 2000, so 12 years old. And this is a spectacular game for two. Now, I, I made the mistake again of thinking this was a, because I liked it so much that it was going to be great with, you know, three or four, uh, however many it plays. I think it plays up to four. And I haven't had as much success playing it with higher player counts, but played with two, and it's basically another game where you're playing cards. You know, can, likes to be math, you know, oriented. But uh, what I really enjoy, enjoy about this game is it's so well themed. Right? It's still a little bit pasted on, but the, there's special action cards to go with the number of cards, uh, and, and what it is is sort of a a jousting medieval combat uh, type of theme. And so there's things like you know you you're, um, you're you're fighting with a lance and you drop your lance and you you know you you pick up swords and you fight with swords and then okay now you're unarmed and you're fighting unarmed and just the way in which it works for a, a light little deck of cards type game there's enough theme right as much theme as you could expect but again really really just enjoy it I, it's both of these games I consider basically perfect tens when played with two players so that's what I'll throw out there for my favorite fillers. Uh, and, and then, you know, Zoolerado Wolf uh, Colorado, you know, all of those I enjoy too. Balloon Cup, I mentioned that on the last show, so that's another one. Uh, obviously, then uh, some of the Yucata-type games, Kahuna, Dragonheart, uh, and such. So, Okay. And then, you know, one quick thing on Notre Dame too, just to say that, I, I, I was thinking about that, and I mentioned the two-player, you know, the player count thing, right? So that is uh, an aspect I don't think I had mentioned when I reviewed the game, which is to say that I don't think Notre Dame plays well at, with two at all, and so one of the problems I had with the game is the player count at which it plays well with is is not wide enough for the type of game that it is, and, and and actually I find it a very light game, which is in a way it's magic, because it's kind of almost not exactly a gateway game, but it's maybe a step two, for okay now you want to feel what a you know, try themeless cube pusher you know or you want to feel like you know experience what a cube pusher is like try Notre Dame. And there's otherwise not a lot of rules to it, but that's kind of the problem. So it doesn't, to me, it doesn't play well with two. So I'm not going to play with my wife. It's kind of light to go to bring to gaming night for you know the people that I typically play with, which have played more stuff, or otherwise I just feel like I have better you know games. Like I'd rather bring Manhattan Project, even if it were newer gamers and stuff, uh, because of the theme and things like that. So that's the reason why it doesn't fit in my collection. As far as ratings go, I didn't rate it all that low. Only in BGG terms is you know, slightly under a five low. For me using the whole range, it's it's, you know, just the bottom side of take it or leave it. So, you know, hey, I'll play it. I actually have fun with it. I have not played it with the expansion, but a lot of the other Feld games don't really need one. I mean even Spikerstadt is plenty, plenty fine without it. It's just you know, the real need for it is with in fact the two player count I think is where where the add on just really perfected the game. But uh again, totally understand why people like Notre Dame, but just not not one i love myself okay yeah that was a a long 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 response to todd's yes uh, all right thanks thanks todd
0: Uh, next one is from travis travis writes in i just started listening to your podcast and was blown away uh, that you recently reviewed easily my favorite board game store ever madness in dallas we've been super excited about that place ever since we got into board gaming a number of years ago they are incredibly nice and are more than willing to order anything you'd like the diversity of games there is outstanding just super excited you were able to visit and uh, you know, I, I talked about this store a couple episodes ago on a business trip while I was down there in Dallas. And I think we actually recorded while I was down there, if I remember right. Right, exactly. And I wound up going back there on the day before my last day coming back here. So I spent easily three hours in that store just walking around, checking stuff out. And you know I, I'm still floored by that place. You know, just like Travis mentioned, it's probably one of the finest stores in the country that i've been been to and I, i'm kind of a harsh critic on some of these stores because you know if, if the store you know is you know if it caters to other things like comics and all i, I understand right. but i mean it's uh, you really need a bigger selection than a barnes and noble to qualify as a game yeah star.
1: especially with what they have these days but i know i'm i'm far worse a critic on game stores than you and it's it's really because oh i don't know i'm, I'm worse than you well, I've, I've, I've been pretty harsh <laughs> about local stores lately. I'll be even harsher. But I, I want to actually hold off on my comments on this topic because the next show, uh, I've got quite a bit to say about game stores, uh, both locally and some that I a, a particular one, a particular experience I want to share. That is what I hold as what a game store experience should be as a first time experience. Okay. And, and I want to give the name of that store and it's nowhere near here. Um, and I want to give the story behind that, but okay. I'll save that for next show. But just to say that, uh, yeah, when I hear about uh, a store like Madness, it it really kind of puts it on the map for me or radar for me. Just, uh, you know, the types of things you had said and, and uh, hearing others talk about it as well. You know, I really want to check that out if I'm ever in the area. So
0: Yeah. And I tell you, Jeff, if you're going to be traveling to Dallas or anywhere in that area, Fort Worth or whatnot, You got to
1: drive over there and check it out. If you're going to Montana, you need to take a detour and get down. Yes. If you're going to Hawaii, (laughs) drive from Oahu. It's that good.
0: Yes. Okay. Uh, So thanks, Travis. The next one we have is from Ted. Ted writes in, You should look at interviewing board game luminaries from time to time on your show. As an example, in Episode 12, you spent time talking about space-themed 4X games. In particular, you mentioned Space Empires 4X, which was one of my personal favorites of the past year. Well, right before it came out last year, Space Empires designer Jim Crone gave an interview on another podcast that was very informative. The expansion for Space Mars 4X is coming out later this summer. And Jim started giving some previews on BGG. I think it would be very interesting if you were to do an interview with him about his new expansion. Aloha, Ted.
1: Thank you for that comment, Ted. I guess if I had to answer that, though, we're definitely, I think we will get to a point where we do interviews. Uh, one of the problems, I think, challenges for us is we haven't run out of content yet. <laughs> so, I don't know. What do you think, Rob?
0: Uh, interviews are definitely something that I think is on our radar. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I That's should all say you got.
1: what I wanted to say. <laughs> well, what I was going to say is there's just a lot of people in this industry that don't respond to your email requests. Yeah. And, and I was going to
0: basically say that. I don't know if we're at the point of where, you know, with only 14 shows, I don't know if they'll give us the time of day.
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, if you like the show, though, spread the word, uh, get the buzz out there. So people have heard about us, have heard that uh, people like us, that that you find us. Uh, you know, we we're, we seem to be getting a lot of comments about how well edited or how good sounding the show is and, and things of that nature so if uh, if that's truly what you guys think then you know spread the word uh, get it out there that's going to help us be able to do things like the interviews and such not that not that we've really been turned down I haven't actually asked anyone to do that but just even with some general questions and in a lot of cases without even mentioning the show just as a user I've mentioned hey I'd emailed some questions about a game and and uh, not everyone's been getting back to me uh, even uh, even on the the geek, so that's a, a little alarming and concerning. But uh, I would certainly like to start building lists of potential uh, interview candidates. So uh, maybe I will uh, reach out to uh, to Jim and see if uh, he'd be interested. Uh, thanks for the comment. Okay, absolutely.
0: next one is from mark mark writes in recently found your podcast and have been catching up on back episodes good stuff especially like the detail you give reviewing games as to what features of a game you like or not like i have heard other podcasts that just brush off disliking game as i didn't care for it Well you go into detail even on things you dislike giving criticism i heard your review of the zularetto dice game and was wondering what other dice games of similar weight you enjoy have you tried the recent bonanza dice game
1: okay you want to go first again uh sure absolutely any other dice games of similar weight that you enjoy
0: with uh dice games i don't know if i've really played anything similar to or at least the same weight of yeah zularetto i've i 've heard a couple of things about the Bonanza game um, most have been like so-so. so 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 i 'm kind of on the fence on it I well will, again. so
1: I, maybe this gives a little more weight to my liking of Zularetto Werfel spiel maybe it doesn 't but I, I have nothing I have nothing here yeah. i I really now i have to I have to answer the question differently because of that, so my answer really is that. I've had a huge issue with those, uh, and and card versions for that matter too. Like I actually happened to have acquired Samurai, the card game, and Samurai is another game I haven't—I don't think I've even uttered the name on any of the shows—but a game that I very much like uh, quite a bit, in fact. Uh, so you would think naturally if I like the board game so much that if I actually acquired a free version of the card game, I would absolutely tear open the shrink and at least give it a try. I, I didn't even bother. I don't know. I just felt like, why would I play a card game version of a game I like so much? If I, why not just play the game I like so much? Right. Because and, and it didn't didn't seem like it was going to offer anything new or different. It wasn't like inspired by it, but its own thing, or it was just not how I've typically took it. Now that one's not fair to probably criticize because I didn't actually try it. But where I've tried other versions of games, you know, card versions or dice versions, yeah, it just it kind of seems like I, I I'd rather just make the time to play the full game, yeah. And, and I, it, I've never really felt like there was enough to it, and, and that's why I, I would never have paid Zoolerattle Spiel at the time of day I, if it wouldn't it just it happened to be on Yucatan. I happened to for I don't even remember why I decided to try it and learn how to play it. So I am very surprised that that uh, I was able to like this game. As I said, fillers in general, I typically I play them like eh, whatever. This game has. I feel like we're gushing over this game. Yeah, I know, this,
0: <laughs> but we are. So th- this game has a couple of unique elements to it. Number one, it's got dice, you know, which you know quite a few people like. It- it's got the dice, and it's got a mechanic of where you're actually in sort of interacting with other people. You know, there's a little bit of screwage in there, and
2: yeah, trying exactly. to get your yeah. your
0: best. Because what was funny, you know, I had mentioned earlier that I played with some coworkers today. The first move that uh, my coworker Roz did was basically—I mean, this is she is not a gamer at all.
1: Mm-hmm. Her first move was a screwage move. Oh, <laughs> well, there you go. But but see, that's the thing. It promotes dialogue. It's, it's it was awesome. It promotes you—you know—speaking to one another. It promotes you go, oh, come on, you know, what are you doing? And you know, this, whatever it is. And then you know, there's different ways to approach it. And I, I don't know. It's. Um, and,
0: because I, I was actually going to possibly bring up Ra, the dice game. Because, I mean, it's it's a fun game, but it's another one of those dice games where it's really I yeah, a I solo game. It's a solo... You're, right. you're playing with another person, but it's solo. And Zularetto's not that.
1: Yeah. Is, isn't there a carcass on the dice game? I think that's another one I haven't tried, but... Yeah, but is. but why? Why? I mean, I don't know. It, like, I'd rather strip away some of the expansions of Carcassonne and just—it's pretty quick to play the base one. So, so now it has to be a, again like your situation—you have to have somewhere where you have no space. So, and that just doesn't typically isn't describe where I tend to play board games. You know, I'm not trying yeah. to play them on a plane or something. Yeah. Uh, so, again, I'd rather stick to a, a card game that was designed as a card game and not a yeah. like a card version of something. But I have played a, a decent number of them. Not so much recently that any come to mind. It just they've never. None of them have ever really stuck with me. Really? So, um, yeah. I mean, if if based on anything anybody listening has heard, they think like one might be for me, then like I said, in general, I, I'm I realized this hole in my collection where I got rid of a bunch of these fillers that I didn't like. So now I'm trying to fill that a bit, and I've got a couple games that I'm go- I'm going to put on in the next order, but. You know, it, it, I have found it difficult to find filler games that I do enjoy. So. Yeah,
0: and just as a general question to our listeners, I mean, I'm kind of curious now. Is if there is a, a dice game that you find that is a good filler and that you enjoy,
1: you know, outside Z- of you know, outside of Zuloretto. Well, you know, Zombie Dice, right? I mean, you know, yeah, you know, that's, actually, that's the closest, solo. the closest, yeah, the the closest would be like a Roll Through the Ages, but again, that one's it's good. But it, with the bar where I've set it on games, yeah. it just doesn't quite get to it. Yeah, so um,
0: you know, going back to our listeners, if, if you guys have any recommendations, just let us know. Send us a comment. Uh, and, yeah, I'm, I'm really know.
1: curious on this one to, yeah. um, to, to hear others' uh, suggestions there. So Okay, so that's it. Thanks, Thanks. Mark. want to cover the next one sure okay so uh michael writes in and uh i think this might be one of our longest ones uh he says welcome to my podcast subscription list and he says "I, i came upon your podcast last week and i've been catching up i like what i hear so far your conversational manner combined without numerous pregnant pauses give you a professional sound right out of the gate at the risk of sounding like i have a man crush I have to say that I really favor Jeff. Sorry, Rob.
2: From what I've heard so
1: far, Jeff's really on my wavelength. I'm not about to base any decisions solely on any reviewer's opinion, but Jeff's voice is definitely one that I'll be paying some heed to. I especially appreciate your comments on Star Trek fleet captains. Despite the component problems and the price, I've still been wavering on this one. I think you homed in on the points that I would have also felt were most important. And while I'd be happy to give the game a spin one day, I'm pretty sure it wasn't going to be a buy for me now. I also enjoy that you talk about so many games and that your reviews don't spend most of their time teaching me the game. I, I can't get behind you on Yukata. I've tried it out and the turn-based format just attaches me too much from the game. I need to see the other players making their moves to really follow what's happening. The turn-based format also makes games take way too long, although I can see where playing multiple simultaneous games helps that. Finally, I really just want to be hanging out with humans when I game. Uh, the last game I played on there was A Few Acres of Snow, and I thought it worked pretty good for that format, but, well, just reread this paragraph. When I do play games online, my site of choice is Board Game Arena. Yes. I don't even know why the subject of negative reviews on Kickstarter has come up. It seems an absolute no-brainer that there should be no problem with that. Why should games on Kickstarter be immune to the same treatment that games from publishers receive? At least with a publisher, I can hope that there has been some non-designer eyes on the game before it gets published. With a Kickstarter game, you're just throwing caution to the wind, so why wouldn't you want to hear even more opinions? Ultimately, it won't affect me much, though, because I don't kickstart. I think that way lies madness. Okay, when you have known publishers using it, then sure, go for it. That's really nothing more than a third-party pre-order system. But when Joe Schmo is putting out Super Space Game and you don't even know if the guy's ever left his mother's basement, well then why in the world would I want to invest in that? I realize there are some good designs out there that haven't been able to make it through the gauntlet of publishers, but there are plenty of game designs that have run that gauntlet and that's enough for me. I don't see any reason to run through the minefield that is Kickstarter in the hopes of finding one more gem and not another bomb. Jeff, I too belong to the cult of the call. I see the size of most people's collections on BGG and think, are you kidding me? Those are collectors. Maybe they play their games as well, but how many of those games actually ever get played? No, 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 I can't be part of that. I'm not keeping a game unless I g- it's getting played. There are a couple of rare exceptions in my collection, but, in, but I have reasons for keeping them too. Typically that reason is because something changed in my life and I lost the person I played two-player games with, or CCGs with, or Mare Trash with, or whatever. However, I know those are good games for those situations and I hope to reconnect with somebody new interested in them again. Even those games get called over time though. I found my collection floats around the 100 mark, but that's not a limit I've set. It just seems to work out that way. I'm also very keen on trumping games, known by some as the Jones Theory. I don't tend to keep around two games that I feel are substantially similar or scratch the same itch mostly. Even a decent game can fall prey to culling if I come across another game which I feel does the same thing better. I don't tend to write emails because I'd rather post publicly and try to start conversations that way, but hey, maybe I'll win a game. Keep up the good work. Michael. P.S. As much as I might like to use your voicemail for another chance to win your contest, I'm exhausted by writing this email. I'm not quite exhausted from reading it. I'm sure it was more effort to write it, but <laughs> yeah, thank you very much for the lengthy contribution. Yeah. Well, uh, let's see. So, to respond to some of the points, I, I guess the the first thing would be on uh, Yucatan. I agree, right? Yes. So, I, I think so. Rob and I have talked about this off the air quite a bit too, and I don't know if I don't know if either of us know why we even play on there sometimes, but you know, if anything, it would be. For me, I would say that surprisingly, by coincidence, a large number of games I like are on Yukata and, and maybe that's what attracts me to go there and, and sort of supplement plays. I, I would never say I would rather play on Yukata even if I could say I'd rather play an iOS app. And and I again the, we talked about that last show, but other than possibly Ascension or Neuroshima Hex because of solving shuffling or the mathiness of resolving Naroshima Hex, give a, a plus to the quickness that you can play the game. Yukata is the opposite, right? It slows it down, as, as pointed out, right? It makes it takes way too long, and you lose a lot of the other stuff. So it's maybe a good way to try a game, but even then, you know, the, you, it's hard. you got to read the rules and get into the game and probably play with somebody much more experienced who isn't going to be helping you through it because of the lack of communication, so, yeah, it's it kind of has that uphill battle, and once you get to a certain point, it's more useful and survivable, but by no means would I ever prefer it. Great points on that. Kickstarter, yeah, I, again, because I, I acquire so many new games, and I'm, I'm very curious as part of the Cult of the New, uh, I do fall victim to Kickstarter... More often for existing games or established publishers, yes. I, I am getting as much as a sci-fi fan as I am. I'm getting a little tired of the the space kill everything theme. Uh, you know, I think it lacks creativity. Even if otherwise artistically, some of these games are really neat with you know custom plastic pieces and, and, and nice card artwork and such, catchy names, but you know great intro videos. But you know, is, is there really anything new in terms of game mechanics? Is there any reason to have them over other better games that are already out there? That's the problem I'm having with a lot of, a lot of what's showing up on Kickstarter today. And as far as the Cult of the Cull, which is something Rob knows nothing of, <laughs> oh, it's too horrible to think of. Uh, yeah, you know the reason my game collection hovers as high as it does. You know, and I have, I have to kind of argue this point, but for one, my just my son's games number in the 100 plus category. And most of that is because,
0: like three. Yeah, I know.
1: <laughs> well, so it's maybe 70 or Hava yeah. games as a collection. There's a couple like Heroescape or even Risk 2210 that are really in his collection now. But it, that's really wise because he hasn't really got to experience all of them or at an appropriate age where there, it would be possible to call them. I'm not going to call them for him. I, I actually decided I'm not going to ever choose that. I'm, I'm going to let him make that decision and say you know i don't like this game or if we sold these two games i could get this other game or whatever it might be so those are kind of going to sit as is and then i really have a portion of my game collection that i almost would consider my wife's now which are games that i very much enjoy playing but i mean i don't know if i would i would bother owning them if if you know for some reason i were single and just playing games with gaming buddies right i mean these aren't the type of games i would bring along right or anything like that. I'd, I'd play them when other people brought them, but, uh, you know, even like Ticket to Ride, I mean, I don't know that I would own that one otherwise. So so I kind of have that family game shelf that, you know, fits that and, you know, and, and does have like filler games and some of the other stuff then on there. And uh, then, of course, I have the Euros, which are mostly the ones that I've picked and I would consider my collection. And uh, and then I'm also, as as an Ameritrash fan, uh, you know, there's quite a few of those, Rex and Game of Thrones and you know Space Hulk, Eclipse, uh, you know Tide of Iron, all kinds of stuff. And then you know, the, speaking of Tide of Iron, you got your kind of war games that I still dabble in. So maybe Twilight Struggle-ish. That's more a little bit Euro flavored, or Conflict of Heroes, which is not so much. And I even have the ASL starter kit still in my collection. So I have different little areas that kind of uh, work against me in trying to keep uh, a small collection. So you know, I think as a Euro gamer, as or as a Maritash gamer. Uh, it would be a lot easier to keep to a lower number. But that's that's one of the reasons why I think my my count is higher. Also, when you consider bgg is a very terrible way to look at that because every little promo with the millions and millions of promos now really super inflate the numbers. Expansions super inflate the numbers. So, you know, I think b g g says I own 433 games. I mean, if you were to subtract out expansions and promos and my and my son's games, I'd be surprised if it was much more than, you know, 150 or so. Uh, but very good point. And, you know, I, I, I do have to bring up the Jones theory since it was mentioned. And, you know, Rob, can you define this, what the Jones theory is?
0: Yeah, wasn't that uh, basically that if there's a number of games that pretty much do the same thing, you flush all but your favorite of the group
1: yeah but i mean who who came up with it
0: (laughs) oh uh what cody cody jones is that his name
1: yeah so from that other podcast that's no more yeah the uh yeah (laughs) and so a lot of people really latched onto this idea and okay so i give him credit for coming up with anything that gives people a way to get rid of their games and and, you know i don't know maybe at one point because my process i do have a process it's maybe not as simple and straightforward as that. And I guess that's probably the problem, right? Is if it's too much effort, people aren't going to go through it. So this is just a nice, straightforward way. And so a lot of people have followed it. The thing is, I don't agree with it. Yeah. And I don't agree with it for the reason that the other uh, feedback was, which is to say, well, what are your favorite mechanics? Well, you know what? If worker placement games, if that's your favorite mechanic, then you darn well should have a ton of worker placement games, right? And, and so I you know I do i like I have you know eight or nine worker placement games and and some of these are my most favorite games, and other ones are not as much but still are above the cut <clears throat> but I, do i do I have to just because I have eight or nine worker placement games go well, clearly one has to go or two or five or you know uh, technically under the Jones theory, maybe seven of the eight or you know at least attempt towards that I, I that's where I just disagree with it right if i If I like dice rolling euros, you know do I have to. Pitch Kingsburg just because I haven't been playing it lately, and you know I have this you know Castles of Burgundy, uh, even though I also like Kingsburg, especially with the expansion so much, uh, and and so on, right? So that's kind of the problem I, I have with it, right? Uh, now, that said, <laughs> it does work certain categories that maybe aren't your most favorite categories so the one that it worked for me on and i very much applied it in this way was dudes on a map and i started looking at and i had a lot of those games and uh see the problem is i can't even remember the name of them is 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 how many of them i had but it was pretty easy to look at, at certain ones and go you know these are these are okay uh, Age of Conan would be one where it's like I almost regret getting rid of it because it is kind of neat in its own way. But you know, the theme, I'm not a big Conan fan. Uh there's a lot of people that didn't care for the game. Uh some you know, sometimes it didn't play out the way you wanted it to. And I just have a lot of dudes on the map type game. So I was like, well, this isn't this is just gonna kinda sit on my shelf because when I go to, it's the, the term I like to use is champion, right? When I champion a game, which means the kind of game I'm going to cart around to game night and try to get played, it's going to be something else, right? It's going to be a different dudes on the map game. So for that reason, this one can go. right? And, you know, it, it, it has gotten to that with other, you know, like auction games. That's why, you know, hey, I'm not a, as a, not a big auction game fan. There's no point for me to have Raw in my collection because I'm not going to drag that along with me. Somebody else has it, I end up playing it, great, you know, fine, wonderful, I like it. But if I'm going to like bring an auction game, then it's going to be, you know, Spikerstadt or Strasburg or stuff. And so those are why those are in my collection. So it it works and it doesn't work, right? I I don't think it can be universally applied to every type of mechanic, especially your favorite ones, but it's as a factor of a more complex strategy, I think it's a very, very good. Useful component. It just shouldn't by no means be the only factor.
0: I, you know, I'm totally on the same page with you. you know, maybe we should call that the Jeff mechanic.
1: Yeah. Well, how do you
0: think? Or we'll come up with some clever name.
1: Like I said, I I could put more process to you know what my process has been because I have been pretty successful. Like I said, I, I'm probably better at getting rid of games than anyone I've ever met or known, and getting rid of stuff in general. So you know, we'll do that as a topic you know, uh, for another show where, because obviously I could go into some length on that. So, you know, know,
0: I just wanted to add real quick to that where, you know, one application for that, you know, based on how you explained it is like, I I really love my worker placement games and, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll have 10, 15, 20 of them that are very similar. I'm going to keep every single one of them just because I enjoy it. There you go. And, you know, once in a while, you know, you go, well, you know, I want Stone Age or I want this one or, you know, Kalos, whatever. However, I went through a phase where I was trying to get my wife to play to get her more interested, and she really enjoyed abstract games. So I went through a phase of, I think my wife will like this abstract. And I was just picking them up left and right. And I particularly don't care for them. Like, I really don't like Quirkle. I really don't like and you know, all those games. So those, I could potentially do it.
1: Right. You because then one or two that, of your favorite abstracts, and it's like, do we really need 12 abstract games? No. Yeah. You know, do you really need... And see, fillers fall on that. That's why I was able to get rid of so many of those, because I, I don't feel like I need 20, 30 filler games. Right. But a filler is easier to flush, because it's... Or is it? Because it's, you don't get as much money, so you don't feel like it's money sitting on the shelf wasted, you know, that kind of thing. So, topic for another show. Yeah.
0: I just wanted to add, because, you know, I think it would be a lot easier to get rid of something like, you know, Lords of Scotland
1: versus Mansions of Madness. Says he yeah. who lives in a big house. Yeah. <laughs> the opposite's true. You live in that tiny uh, apartment in East Europe. Yeah. Yeah. enough of the emails for this show so we'll, we'll do one voicemail and then i also wanted to just share i do get comments through geek mail so a particular uh listener chris s who'd sent me uh some email and i think we went back and forth uh, once or twice on this but he did put to do a little ps in there which i thought was a nice little thing that I, i'd uh, say on the show which is just to say uh, he said by the way uh, the content on your show is leagues beyond many shows I have been listening to for ages. How did I only learn about you last week? Love it. Started with a Stefan Feld show and look forward to going backwards and following along. Love the show. Can't believe I'm so eager to try and track down or Wurflspiel now. Might have to actually enter that contest. So. We've seen similar comments like that one uh, a couple of times.
0: The final thing we've got is a voicemail from Todd from Winnipeg. He was the first email that we read off today and he also sent in a voicemail.
1: And feel free to upgrade to a voicemail yourself if you'd like to get the double entry. Yes. Or Thanks. I should say the ent- the entry into both contests. Yes.
2: Hey guys, uh, this is Todd calling from Winnipeg, Canada. And I just wanted to say that I think that your podcast is, is great. You guys are doing a good job, and I just listened to episode 12, and, uh, I was very interested in the Zuloretto Worf, Spiel uh, because I'm a huge fan of Colorado. I, I think that, uh, the game doesn't get its due. I mean, it is kind of a late filler, but there's choices, and in a, you know, 20, 25 minute game, it's a lot of fun, uh, for the family, or just for, you know, three to five players, um. My favorite episode, though, was the All Things Felt, as I'm a huge fan of the designer. I think, though, one small disagreement that I have is I think that Notre Dame is actually a fairly solid game. Um, I understand where you're coming from. It's kind of a cube pusher, but with the expansion from the Aliyah treasure chest, just those extra person cards really mixes it up, and there's many different uh, paths of victory and I find it quite fun. Uh, Speicherstadt is by far my favorite of the ones I've played. Uh, in my group, we just keep wanting to play it, and I can't wait to try uh, the uh, expansion. But uh, like I said, I just wanted to give you guys a shout-out and just say that I really appreciate the podcast. It's uh, probably the one I'm most anticipating when a new one comes out to listen to, and I listen to podcasts all day long at my boring government job. Thanks
0: a lot. Keep up the good work, and uh, take care. Bye. Hey Todd, thanks for that voicemail. And uh, you know, it's interesting to see that you spend so much time listening to podcasts. Well, I think with the length of our shows, we can definitely fill in a good
1: part of your day. <laughs> yeah, I don't know whether to be uh, envious <laughs> or uh, or not on, on that. So, okay, fantastic. So that's a, that's a show.
0: That is a wrap for episode number 14. Make sure to check out our website at thisboardgamelife.com. And also, we have our email address. You can send us questions, comments, concerns, etc. at contact at thisboardgamelife.com.
1: Also call our voicemail at 754-444-TBGL, which is 754-444-8245. A great example of types of things to email or leave a voicemail for is found in the segment just before this. I think everybody did an excellent job, and uh, we'll continue to share them in our next show as well. Uh, if uh, Please do consider the voicemail for our contest entry as well for the two entries and uh, also remember to join our BGG guild we uh, we do require that for the contest entry so we can track down particularly voicemail listeners who forget to mention their email address and that sort of thing so as well as it does interest us to see just who listens and what games you may own how you rate them and, and whatever the case might be so thanks for listening this is Jeff and this is Rob catch y'all later